Blog Talk Radio. During the pandemic, my lifestyle drastically changed. My income came to a screeching halt. You have to understand, I'm a hustler. I'm a legit entrepreneur. I sell things. I come in contact with people all the time. I have to stay safe. I didn't have a choice but to trust the vaccine. And if you live the type of lifestyle that I live, you out here in these streets, and you hustling, an entrepreneur like me, why not do it safely? So I want everybody to take this seriously. Take a shot at staying healthy. Get the vaccine. We talk a lot about the kingdom here, and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us uh, in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same. And we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints. But they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And join us on Facebook. Facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. Join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. But it's just not enough to sit and listen or to talk about or to say. You must become a doer of the word. Please check out the Barefoot is Legal radio show right here on Saturdays, 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that is 10.30 a.m. to noon Pacific Time, as we show you all about your barefoot rights and living a barefoot lifestyle. And for more information about the 501c3 nonprofit Barefoot is Legal, please check out barefootislegal.org. The following message is sponsored by Truth. Are you or someone you know suffering from shapeism? Shapeism is a debilitating disorder which affects a person's entire worldview and is characterized by ignorance, denial, abandonment of basic morals and values. An unwillingness to think critically about things read or heard by mainstream media is a strong sign that you have been affected. Fortunately, shapeism is treatable in many cases. Treatment may include, but is not limited to, training to help the patient understand that truth is being intentionally withheld. Help in understanding that assumptions and speculations do not qualify as evidence for truth. Living with shapeism is frustrating. Thankfully, there's hope for those suffering this debilitating condition. If you or someone you know is dealing with shapeism, please contact your local truth movement for treatment. They're standing by to help you now. And remember, you're not alone. Side effects of treatment may or may not include shortness of breath, migraines, anaphylactic shock, and a worse scenario, heart attack. See your support specialist for details. Okay, class, class, 
We want to talk about what we learned during the lockdown. The first question is, what did we learn during the quarantine, kids? Susie, that government overreach is real. What about you, Johnny? We went from home of the brave to home of the government slave. And you, Michael? We need to refresh the tree of liberty. What about you, Diane? So many sheep are willing to give up their rights because of a little fear. Very good, class. Have you looked at the price of Bitcoin lately? Cryptocurrencies are the hottest financial investment right now. Well, what if you can get free Bitcoin fractions by having an app on your phone or PC? Introducing Lolly, a website that rewards you with free Bitcoin pieces with your online purchases. You purchase from one of thousands of companies like Chewy, Old Navy, Groupon, and others. You get a percent of your purchase back in Bitcoin. Use my link on freedomizerradio.live or find me on Facebook for your special link to get started. Lolly, earn free Bitcoin while you shop. Hello, everyone. I want to introduce you to our friends at Marty.com. At Marty, you can stock up on all your pantry items and other household items for way, way cheaper than traditional grocery stores. I like that most of the items are organic. Also, I really dig their one-cent deal of the day. It changes every single day. I recently snagged a 10-ounce bag of dog treats for Chewbacca for a penny. Normally, they sell on their site for $7.99. With the upcoming food shortages, this is my favorite place to stock up on canned goods. If you live in the mountain or Pacific time zones, you need to get with Marty.com. M-A-R-T-I-E.com. Look for our link on our FreedomizerRadio.com website and get a $10 free just because I told you to go there. Marty.com. Great deals, good feels. Hello, Freedomizers. I am Broccoli Man. When I am not fighting crime, I listen to the Proof Negative radio show. I am the Wire Ripper. Not only do I forbid you to listen to Freedomizer Radio and the Proof Negative Radio Show, I am going to demand you wear a mask and get your naked body scan. We need to protect the One World Government. You getting the real information hurts a crime syndicate. Do not listen to Proof Negative. You must now disrobe this instant so I can check your person for a constitution or cash money. Anyway, listen to Proof Negative on Freedomizer Radio. Weeknights 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Freedomizerradio.com Now, let's get back to the Proof Negative show here on Freedomizerradio.com Welcome to the Proof Negative radio show right here on freedomizerradio.com. Now sit back and enjoy the show.
again, everyone. Welcome back to another night here on Freedomizer Radio. Of course, I'm your host, Proof Negative, the big kahuna here on Freedomizer. I want to thank everybody so much for finding us today. Today is Thursday. We're short a co-host, so I am seeking somebody that would like to come hang out with me once a, once a week on Thursdays to discuss freedom. Anyway, we will have a guest tonight. We have our comedian friend, Kimo, joining us here. And if you out there in Radio Land have anything you want to share, the number here is 319-527-6208. And just press lucky number one on your phone. And I will make it a point to bring you into tonight's conversation. So one of the main things I wanted to hit today is this whole Merrick Garland uh, discussion. It was absolutely embarrassing. And I'm tired of it being so blatantly obvious that he's covering for the Brandons. It's just sad that he can't even admit the slaps on the wrist and then the whole Ray Epps thing. And so there's a ton of clips. I'm probably going to spend an hour showing you these clips one by one. He just got literally hammered. And I think everybody knows what's going on unless they choose to be ignorant and silent about it. Because if they don't stand up now, they're they're not going to have an opportunity to stand up. So uh, I'm glad to see that enough people have a spine and are honestly willing to do something about this. So... This is refreshing to me, and I, I just want to play the embarrassments for you here. So I want to start with the liberal hive mind. I've been following a lot of his stuff lately here. And I'm going to have to refresh my screen because everything I uploaded isn't showing yet. So just give me a second. So let's see what we got here. We have, I'm looking for a liberal hive mind here. There we go. All right. I'm just going to play this one and then we'll see how it shakes out thereafter. Hey guys, welcome to the Liberal Hive Mind, a channel fully focused on exposing the abundant hypocrisy of the left. If it's not primetime TV, then for the most part it doesn't matter. I think that's pretty true. Unless you're some sort of a politics nerd, chances are you aren't watching C-SPAN or following clips that are being posted relating to moments on the Senate or House floor during some of these committee hearings. If you aren't keenly involved in politics, people are being spoon-fed nothing but lies and ridiculous narratives, and they miss moments like these 
moments that make it incredibly clear that what is generally referred to in the mainstream media as a ooh conspiracy theory many of the times is anything but the mainstream media doesn't want you to mention this name they want you to forget that this name even exists Ray Epps, of course. And that's it right there, the way they freeze, the way they go silent, the way they simply can't answer questions effectively or obviously, honestly. The moment that name is uttered pretty much tells you all that you need to know. Biden's lackey, Mr. Merrick Garland, was challenged on the issue during a congressional hearing, and his reaction basically tells the whole story. Let me show you guys exactly what I mean by that. We got some stuff to get into. Let's talk about these ridiculous double standards in the justice system. So let's roll the tape. All right, folks. So here's the moment that everyone seems to be talking about on Twitter right now. Let's play the clip and, of course, like usual, have a conversation. You're signing the Constitution. I'm going to cite it. It's our constitutional duty to do oversight. Now, in that video, that was your answer to a question to me two years ago when I said how many agents or assets of the government were present on January 5th and January 6th and agitating in the crowd to go into the Capitol and how many went into the Capitol. Can you answer that now? I don't know the answer to that question. Oh, last time, you don't know how many there were or there were none? I don't know the answer to either of those questions. If there were any, I don't know how many. You've I don't know whether there are any. I think you may have just perjured yourself that you don't know that there were any. You want to say that again, that you don't know that there were any? I have any? no personal knowledge of this matter. I think what I said the you've, last time. You've had two years to find it. out. And today, by the way, that was in reference to Ray Epps, and yesterday you indicted him. Isn't that a wonderful coincidence? On a misdemeanor. Meanwhile, you're sending grandmas to prison. You're putting people away for 20 years for merely filming. Some people weren't even there yet. You've got the guy on video who's saying go into the Capitol. He's directing people to the Capitol before the speech ends. He's at the site of the first breach. You've got all the goods on him, 10 videos, and it's, an, and it's an indictment for a misdemeanor? The American public isn't buying it. I yield the balance of my time to Chairman Jordan. May I answer the question? Uh, in discovery, in the cases um, that were filed with respect to January uh, 6, um, the Justice Department prosecutors provided whatever information they had about uh, the question that you're asking. Uh, with respect to Mr. Epps, the FBI has said that he was not an employee or informant of, of the uh, FBI. Uh, Mr. Um, Epps has been charged, um, and there's a proceeding, I believe, going on today on that subject. The charge is a joke. I yield to the chairman. Ah, yes, totally believable. Merrick Garland, the head of the DOJ, the guy who's at the head of all of these investigations, who has access to all of the behind-the-scenes information, apparently Merrick Garland, well, he just has no personal knowledge of anything. It's funny how that works, right? When it touches something that's positive for their narrative, oh, they know everything. Merrick Garland knows it all. But the moment it touches Democrats, the moment it touches the establishment or uniparty's interest, all of a sudden, these people go from the most intelligent, most powerful people on the planet to complete clueless idiots who know nothing about anything. Yeah, that's what we call a cover-up. Supposedly, they know nothing of Ray Epps. No, they've only had two years to look into it. They've had the text message evidence and, of course, the video evidence, video and audio evidence, where he's essentially saying he's going to do something and then literally does it, does all of it on camera, but they know nothing. You know, they can't comment. They could comment on everyone else. But him, oh well, I don't know, just a sensitive topic apparently. Completely ridiculous. Almost three years after the fact, finally Ray Epps 
is being charged. Hallelujah, they did it. They proved everyone wrong. They proved the conspiracy theorists wrong by charging Ray Epps with a single misdemeanor. Ah, makes so much sense, right? Enrique Tarrio gets 22 years in federal prison, essentially pretty close to a life sentence. He's 39 years old and he could possibly be in prison until his early 60s. He gets sentenced to 22 years when he wasn't even there on the day of. Meanwhile, Ray Epps, well, Ray Epps. In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need we need to go, I'll say it, we need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! So I'm going to put it out there, I'm probably going to go to jail for Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. As soon as the president starts speaking, we go to the Capitol. The Capitol is this direction. The guy essentially gets off with a slap on the wrist. No obstruction felony charge. No civil disorder charge. He didn't even get trespassing on restricted grounds. There are journalists who were simply there the day of, documenting the events of the day, who got harsher penalties, harsher charges than Ray Epps did. You know, the non-answer from Merrick Garland is better than the answer, because it tells me everything I need to know. You know, if they were able to provide facts to dismantle the, let's call it, right-wing narrative surrounding January 6th and Ray Epps, they would do so. But instead, this is what we have to deal with. And it tells us that we are right. That Ray Epps is most likely part of some sort of plot. He's obviously working with the feds in some regard, whether before or after the fact, because the charges simply don't make any sense. And it's not like any Democrats have any interest in getting to the bottom of this one. No, no, no. They're not interested at all. During a committee hearing relating to possible DOJ misconduct and the weaponization of federal agencies, Democrats did a great job asking really hard-hitting questions. Like, you know, using their time to praise Attorney General Merrick Garland over some non-existent accomplishment. Mr. Garland, I believe that the only thing that cartel leaders fear is a United States prison. I want to thank you for the good job. You recently extradited uh, Oviedo Guzman Lopez, El Chapo's son. Thank you very much for that good job. Or just the most ridiculous brown-nosing you could possibly imagine. Mr. Attorney General, you are serious. They are not. You are decent, they are not. You are fair, they are not. Or chiming in on the issue and claiming that everything Republicans are talking and referring to is all one big, long discredited conspiracy theory. Justice and Attorney General Garland to address any number of real substantive problems facing the American people. Instead, House Republicans will use their time today to talk about long discredited conspiracy theories and Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah, it's all just long discredited conspiracy theories. Still waiting for these supposed theories to be discredited. I mean, if anything, that's literally what Merrick Garland's job, I guess, in this situation would be, to discredit these supposed incorrect claims and assumptions. Yet what did we get from Merrick Garland? A whole load of, I don't know, I'm not sure, I have no personal knowledge of. Well, there you go. Right-wing conspiracy theories officially debunked. I mean, give me a break. But of course, if everything I've showed you thus far isn't intellectually frustrating enough, well, Cori Bush also said this. Being constitutional gender equality for all. 
finally, I cannot overstate how shocked I am by the targeting of protesters who oppose the construction of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center or Cop City, and I urge the department to investigate these obvious violations of civil rights. These may all seem like unrelated issues, but to me, to my constituents, to countless advocates, and to people who are most directly impacted, they are interconnected, and they all speak to whether the department under your leadership will advance justice or simply pay lip service to it. Funny stuff, huh? When Antifa goes on a terroristic intimidation campaign, probably the best way that we could describe it in Atlanta, and they get arrested, it's a travesty. But when Republican voters get arrested for simply showing up at a school board meeting or simply being present during January 6th, well, then that's just justice being served. I wish more people would watch because the answers are right in front of you. The truth is staring you right in the eyes. All you have to do is turn off the mainstream media garbage and pay a little bit of attention. The DOJ is the enforcement wing of the Democrat Party, and Merrick Garland is the head of that department. Anyways, that's what I got for you guys. Hopefully you enjoyed the video. If you did, make sure to leave a like and possibly subscribe to the channel. Of course, you know that we'd love to have you here. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you on the next one. All right, so as promised, we're going to play a ton of the Merrick Garland stuff that went on. And, yeah, some people really, really got their point across. Uh, of course, you have the butt kissers. We're not playing any of them because they, they don't mean anything in this conversation. The only thing I can think of is, is that they know somebody that's on the board uh, of Burisma or or maybe they're on the take also. I don't know. Maybe they're afraid of getting investigated, so they're just yes people. I have no clue. But I, I will tell you what the truth is, and I, I'm going to share this information. So we're just going to start playing them. Uh, we heard Thomas Massey already. Uh, this is Victoria Sparks. She was a former residents of Belarus, and she's comparing today's weaponization of the Department of Justice to the KGB. A very moving statement about your grandparents coming here uh, from Belarus to live in the country without fear of prosecution. I grew up in very similar country, Ukraine now, and when I came here as a young person, I believed in the value as an American not to be afraid of my government. But I wanted to tell you, and I want to share with you and get your thoughts on that. Are you aware that a lot of Americans are now uh, afraid of being prosecuted by your department? Are you aware about that? Are you aware of that? I'm just saying, are you aware or not? Uh. I think that uh, constant attacks on the department and saying no, it's that... It's not attacks. Well, let me, let me give you an example. I don't know we talk what... about January 6th. People. I'm sorry? Here, there, there are some people came on January 6th. There are probably were some people that came on January 6th here, you know, that had bad intent. But a lot of good Americans from my district came here because they are sick and tired of this government not serving them. They came with strollers and a kiss, and there was chaotic situation because the proper security wasn't provided. That's a question that was answered really why. Why we debated for 45 minutes on the floor and didn't stop the debate after the people broke in into the Capitol. But these people came. They were throwing the smoke bombs 
into the crowd with strollers with kids. People were showed up, you know, FBI agent to people's houses. You had in my district, in my town, FBI phone numbers all over the district. Please call. Call that. People are truly afraid. I just want to make sure if you're not aware that you are. And this is a big problem when people are afraid of their own government. And I'll show you some other things. We're talking about justice system. I don't question, you're probably not a bad person. I don't know you, but what I'll tell you, you're in charge of the department. And people right now feel, you know, I look at Durham report and I call on the fights of violations of queries of millions of Americans, right? It's like KGB, but when I read Durham reports, we have this, you have a nice, you know, playbook. First, let's have a special counsel, and then you don't have to answer any questions here. Then, let's extend slow work investigation on Hillary Clinton, on Hunter, everything is slow work. We were very quick on Donald Trump, but you were very slow work. Then, by the time, you know, that investigation and its statute of limitation expired, and all of your agents need to be tested for amnesia. No one recalls anything. Okay, you probably should have as part of your hiring policy. So no one held accountable, which was egregious what happened, you know, in that report. When I read about them, I can't believe it happened in the United States of America. This is my frustration. I'll be honest with you. Then it's very interesting, you know, regardless of what it is, even people in Obama administration raised concerns. You know, how can President Sands be serving on, you know, corrupt Ukrainian oligarchs? Do you understand that it actually can undermine the war in Ukrainian effort and policy? I think these concerns were raised. The Obama administration didn't do anything about it. These people are dying right now, and Americans don't trust this president. So you, I want to ask you one thing. You know, as you, you know, I don't need answer because I know you're not going to, but I think you're probably a good American and you care. And a lot of these people are so afraid they cover up this stuff, I think, in your department because they're embarrassed that what we became as a country to say that what our Department of Justice became. That allows Russians to do propaganda in Chinese. It allows them to destabilize our country. That is danger to our republic. It is significant danger. And I have just one more question from you. You know, I mean, I agree on corporate crimes and FISA stuff, even with Democrats, that we need to do a better job. One more question for you. Do you believe that, you know, you talk about rights to vote, but do you believe that only U.S. citizens should be voting in this election and doing anything to make sure that only eligible people vote in elections? Yes and yes. Okay, I would like to see that what you do. Thank you. Neil back. Okay, where to go next? Because there's plenty. Let me go. This is a gentleman from Wisconsin. I forget his name. Recognizes the gentleman from Wisconsin, Mr. Fitzgerald. Attorney General, on August 11, 2023, you appointed Mr. David Weiss, U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware, and Special Counsel to oversee the investigation of Hunter Biden. Um, I don't think the question has been asked yet. Why did you choose to appoint him as special counsel? Um, the explanation was given, and as far and, and to the extent I can give an explanation, I'm permitted to give an explanation, is the one I gave and sent to the Congress, which is that Mr. Weiss requested it, that I had promised to give him all the resources that he need, need that he had reached the stage of the investigation where he thought um, it would be appropriate. 
Um, and under those extraordinary circumstances, uh, I thought the public interest uh, would be served by making him special counsel. How did Mr. Weiss's name emerge? Who recommended him? How was it brought to you or presented to you that this would be the best person to be the special counsel? Well, um, I'm not going to get into internal uh, discussions. Mr. Weiss asked that he be um, appointed as special counsel, um, and um, I uh, granted that request and made him special counsel, but I'm not going to get into internal deliberations in the Justice Department. But I think you said earlier you've had no discussions with the White House and certainly the President in regards to that. Is that accurate? Of, co of course. There were no suggestions that came from any other level of government on there, Mr. There no, nothing came from uh, the White House, that's right. So on August uh, 20th, 2023, the Washington Post article claimed that Mr. Weiss worked with Hunter Biden uh, and Hunter Biden's late brother, Bo Biden. Were you aware that there was a relationship there with the Biden family? I, I'm not familiar with this. I don't know when he uh, did, did what. Uh, they worked together on legal cases in, a, in prior years. You yeah, were unaware I, of that? I, I'm not familiar with that. And the article claims it would have been inevitable for Mr. Weiss and the president to cross paths in a state like Delaware. They knew each other. There was a relationship there. But you were unaware of any of this before you appointed him? Unaware of this, but uh, attorneys uh, who are in uh, practice uh, certainly get to know people. Um, it's very difficult anywhere in the country for attorneys not to get to know attorneys on other sides of matters. Um, you said previously that Mr. Weiss had the ultimate authority over the investigation of the president's son, including prior to his appointment as special counsel. And you stand by that statement, I'm sure? I'm sorry, I didn't... Just that, that in fact, uh, there was a... Uh, that the ultimate authority was still there with, with Mr. Weiss to make determinations on that case. You mean still as special counsel? Yes. Yes, yes. special counsel. So the buck stopped there, and, and that's been determined. According to whistleblower testimony, Mr. Weiss' deputy, AUSA Leslie Wolf, objected to search warrants of President Biden's guest house, denied investigation access to a storage unit containing all the documents from the vacated office of law firm. Um, is Leslie Wolf still employed by the Department of Justice? I'm not going to talk about any individuals in the Justice Department. As I said before, singling out in, in, in individuals. Uh, has led to a serious threats to their safety. I will say that the supervisor of this investigation <clears throat> was Mr. Weiss. He's responsible for all the decisions that were made. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, many of the, uh, of the uh, things that you're saying uh, occurred uh, during the previous administration. I apologize. Okay. Well, there was absolutely a discussion by Leslie Wolf that if they, were, if they told investigators <clears throat> or got involved with this, that there would ultimately be issues. Um, you still believe that at this point that the entire investigation has moved in the correct discretion, was handled by the correct discretion of the individuals involved? Mr. Weiss was a longstanding career prosecutor, who was appointed by President Trump. He has an outstanding reputation. Uh, and I have uh, confidence that he will proceed as appropriate, and at the end of his investigation, he will uh, submit a public report, just like Mr. Durham, just like Mr. Mueller. He will be available for you to ask him questions about why he uh, did various things that were done. I yield the balance of my... ...recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Attorney General. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
On August 11, 2023, you appointed Mr. Weiss as special counsel. You wrote a letter to the House and Senate Judiciary Committees where you cited extraordinary circumstances requiring the appointment. Uh, you avoided answering the question when Mr. Benz asked you. I'll give you another chance to answer it. Uh, what were those extraordinary circumstances? Yeah. I'm afraid I'll have to give you the same answer I gave before. Um, I've gave as much as I can give, which is that he thought that the, it reached a stage where uh, it would be appropriate, that I had promised him that I would give him any resource uh, that he needed, uh, and, and, and that he asked for it. And to go further, uh, we go into well, a pending investigation. Okay, let's talk about that authority. Back on March 1st, uh, you told the Senate Judiciary Committee that Mr. Weiss had the full authority to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he felt it was necessary. On June 7th, Mr. Weiss wrote to the Judiciary Committee stating he, you have been, he had been granted ultimate authority over the matter, including responsibility for deciding where, when, and whether to file charges. But by June 30th, he had changed his tune and said that his charging authority was geographically limited and, he, and it would be up to uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office and, and then you to determine whether uh, he can partner on the case. And if not, he can request special attorney status from the AG pursuant to 28 U.S.C. 515. And he had been assured that if necessary, he would be granted uh, 515 authority in D.C., Central District of California, or any other district where charges could be brought. Um, let me ask you, is there some distinct legal authority known as special attorney status? I'm sorry. Is there some distinct legal authority known as special attorney status? Yeah, section 515 uh, permits the attorney general to sign an order um, to authorize a prosecutor to uh, work in, uh, a, a, in another district. And if you had already decided that he had full authority, why did you feel it was necessary to sign that document? I'm sorry. I why did you feel that, why did Mr. Weiss feel that he would need that extra authority if uh, you had conveyed to him that he would have all that authority. You'll have to speak with Mr. Weiss about that. I think his, his um, three letters are quite clear that he understood uh, he would have the necessary authority and that no U.S. attorney could block him. Okay. We asked you earlier about his request for this authority, and we need to know who he spoke to about this authority and when. Before he asked you in August, he had discussions about this with others at the department. Uh, who did he discuss special counsel authority with and when did he do that? Yeah, I'm not going to discuss uh, internal deliberations of the department. I guarantee that, Those Mr. Aren't, well. that Mr. Weiss would have the authority um, that he needed, and um, the moment he asked for the authority, I gave it to him. Did he discuss it with the Deputy Attorney General? Again, I'm, I'm not going to get into a discussions of deliberations within the Justice Department. That is not a valid constitutional objection. Well, that is a valid constitutional deliberation. It has to, uh, con uh, constitutional objection. It has to do with the ability of the Justice Department um, to do its communications, just as your deliberations with your staff and with other members are protected by the Constitution. Detailing who had conversations and when does not implicate the internal deliberations at the department. The substance of those deliberations simply detailing who and when does not implicate those. Yeah, I'm not going to get into the internal discussions of the department or who talked to who about what. Mr. Weiss has told his committee that he well understood his ability to bring a case wherever he wanted, and I have said that he had that ability. So, do you think that the extraordinary circumstances that you cited in the appointment have anything to do with the June 22nd and July 19th testimony of whistleblowers Special Agents Shapley and Ziegler? I don't think it has anything to do with uh, Mr. Shapley, no. 
Escuchame, Diego. All right, so I'm going to move on here. We're going to listen to Jeff Van Drew's turn at him now. Uh, yield back. The gentleman from New Jersey is recognized for five minutes. Jeff. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Welcome, Attorney General. You know, following your confirmation, Americans were promised they were getting a focused, nonpartisan to lead their federal law enforcement. I had my doubts back then. And the last two years have more than confirmed in my mind those fears. Never in my life would I have thought that I would see such a politicized DOJ. Never in my life would I have thought I would see such a Department of Justice that didn't obey their own rules. Never in my life did I think I would see the egregious investigations conducted under your, under your watch or the blatant disregard of the First Amendment by FBI field offices under your watch. And never in my life did I think I would see our great DOJ turn to a, into a politicized weapon to be wielded by an investigation to attack political rivals. I still hold the thousands of hardworking staff with high regard, but unfortunately there are some within the department, in my mind, who have betrayed their oaths. And for that, you must be held accountable. I hold you accountable for the labeling of parents as domestic terrorists standing up for the, their proper education of their own children. I hold you accountable for the anti-Catholic memo. Imagine sending agents undercover into Roman Catholic churches because they were supposedly domestic terrorists. And I hold you accountable for unleashing a special counsel with a history of botched investigations on our current president's political rival. The department of, under your leadership, I am sorry to say, and I am sorry to say, has become an enforcement arm of the Democratic National Committee. If there is a perceived threat to the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party, this DOJ attacks every single time, but when there are actionable threats against conservatives, this DOJ stays put. Protesters outside, violent protesters outside the Supreme Court justices' home, unpunished. Attacks on pro-life centers, unpunished. The two-tiered system of justice is clear, and it's clear to the American public, and the buck stops with the man in charge. That man is you. The actions of the DOJ are on you. The decline of Americans' trust in our federal law enforcement is on you. The political weaponization of the DOJ is on you. Attorney General, I need a simple yes or no to the following. Just yes or no, because we don't have much time. Do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Yes or no? Let me answer what you've said in that long list of, of, of that, statements. I'll be happy the, to answer all of those. Attorney but General, just, I control the time. I'm going to ask you to answer well, the you, questions you, I asked. You control time by asking me a substantial number of things. And I, let me I didn't give, ask you those things. I, I made a statement. The, Attorney will, General, through the chair, I ask you, do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Okay. I have no idea what, your, what the traditional uh, means here. May I answer your question? Yes the idea no. that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous, Mr. so absurd. Mr. Attorney General, it was your FBI question. that did this. It was your FBI that was sending, and we have the memos, we have the emails, we're sending undercover agents into Catholic churches. Both I and the director this of the FBI the, have said that we were appalled 
have said that we were appalled by that memo. So then you agree the that they're not extremists? We were appalled by that memo. Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? I think that... Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? Everything in that memo is Are appalling. they extremists or not? I'm asking a simple question. Say no if you think that was wrong. Catholics are not extremists. No. Was anyone fired for drafting and circulating the anti-Catholic memo? You have in front of you the inspection uh, division's investigation. Just tell me yes or no, please. I don't know. We have the no time. I don't know the answer to that. There okay. Do you agree that parents attending school board meetings should be categorized? Should parents, that, should parents that go to school board meetings and are very vocal about their kids' education should be they should they be classified as domestic terrorists? Uh, of course not. And my memo made clear that vigorous objections ba uh, to policies in schools are protected oh, it's no. by the First Amendment. The president this week accused you, not the president himself, his staff, and it was in the Wall Street Journal, and it was leaked out, of mismanaging the Hunter Biden probe. Do you agree? Yes or no? It was in the Wall Street do Journal article. I'm not saying I'm sorry. That. Do I agree with the Wall Street Journal? Or? Yes. And, what, and that, the information they released that said you botched this probe. I think I have uh, dealt with the uh, Hunter Biden investigation in the way I've told this. Mr. Speech. Chairman, I yield my remaining time to you. I appreciate it. The gentleman yields back. Uh, uh uh, next up on the agenda here, let's go for Jim Jordan himself. He does not recognize himself. Quote, Mr. Weiss has full authority to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he feels it's necessary. That was your response, Attorney General, to Senator Grassley's question on March 1st, 2023. You just referenced it when Mr. Bishop was questioning you. Only problem is he'd already been turned down by the U.S. Attorney in the District of Columbia, Mr. Graves. So he didn't have full authority, did he? I had an extended conversation with uh, Senator Grassley at the time. We briefly touched on the Section 515 question and how that process went. Um, I have never been suggested. Simple. My point's real simple, Mr. Garland. You said he had complete authority, but he'd already been turned down. If he wanted to bring an action in the District of Columbia, and the U.S. Attorney there said, no, you can't. And then you go tell the United States Senate under oath that he has complete authority. I'm going to say again that uh, no one had the authority to turn him down. They could refuse. Uh, to partner with him, they could you not. You can use whatever you, you, language. They, refuse to partner is turning down. Well, it's not the same under a well-known Justice Department practice. Here's why the statute of limitations question is important, and Mr. Bishop was getting at just a few minutes ago. Here's why it's important. You let the statute of limitations lapse for 2014, 2015. Those were the years with the felony tax charges where Hunter Biden was getting uh, income from Burisma. Here are four facts that I think are so important. Hunter Biden was put on the board of Burisma, made a lot of money, got paid a lot of money over those years, a couple million bucks. He wasn't qualified. Fact number two, he wasn't qualified to be on the board of Burisma. Not my words, his words. He said he got on the board because of his last name, the brand, as Devin Archer said when he was under oath and we deposed him. Fact number three, Burisma executives told Hunter Biden, we're under pressure, we need help. Fact number four, Joe Biden goes to Ukraine, leverages our tax money, American people's tax money, to get the prosecutor fired who was applying the pressure. Interestingly enough, that fact is entirely consistent with what the confidential human source told the FBI, and they recorded in the 1023 form, the same form Mr. Ray didn't want to let this committee and the Congress see. That all happened. That all happened. And what I'm wondering is why you guys let the statute of limitations lapse 
for those tax years that dealt with Burisma income. There's one more fact that's important, and that is that this investigation was being conducted by Mr. Weiss, an appointee of President Trump. You will, at the appropriate time, have the opportunity to ask Mr. Weiss that question, and he will no doubt address it in the public report that will be transmitted to the Congress. I don't know the answer to did those questions. Did they forget? Did the lawyers just like let it, did they just like, oh, darn, we let it, did they, were they careless? I expect that won't be what he says, but because I you promise. You know that's not the case, because as Mr. Bishop pointed out, they had a tolling agreement. They had, they talked to the Hunter Biden's defense counsel and say, let's extend the statute of limitations. And then at some point they made an intentional decision to say, we're going to let the statute of limitations lapse. And I want to know who decided that and why they did it. Mr. Weiss was a supervisor of the investigation at that time and at all times. He made the necessary appropriate decisions, and you'll be able to ask him that question, and he will. You know why they did it. Everyone knows why they did it. I may not say it, but everyone knows why they did it. They did those tax years. That 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 dealt with the pre, that involved the president. It's one thing to have a gun charge in Delaware. That doesn't involve the president of the United States. But Burisma, oh my, that goes right to the White House. We can't have that. And we can slow walk this thing along. We can even extend the statute of limitations, and then we can intentionally let it lapse. And we know this investigation was slow. Here's what everyone said. Shapley said, DOJ slow walked the investigation. Ziegler, slow walking in the approvals of everything. This happened at the Delaware's attorney's office and DOJ tax level. Mr. Sobosinski, the FBI agent, said, I would have liked to see things move faster. Ms. Holly said the same. Every witness we've talked to said this thing was slow walked, and we know why. They slow walked it long enough to let the statute of limitations run so they wouldn't have to get into Burisma. Tell me where I'm wrong. Will the gentleman think, yield? No, I'm asking the, no. uh, Mr. Garland the question. I think I've tried to make clear that I don't know the specifics of the investigation. Much of what you are describing occurred uh, during the Trump administration, during a uh, Justice Department appointed by President Trump. No, it didn't. This is four and a half years of this investigation. We're talking about the last few years. Your statement was just this year, March 1st, to, to Senator Grassley. No, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I was trying to respond to your descriptions of what the uh, IRS um, um, uh, agents said about certain statute things. statute of limitations is six years. That lapsed. That lapsed here in, in, the, in the Biden administration. On the, on the statute of limitations, I um, will say again, that the explanation for why the statute of limitation was lapsed, if it was, has to come from Mr. Weiss. My time is this. Let me ask one, la one last question real quick here. Uh, who decided that David Weiss would stay on as U.S. attorney? Look, uh, this had occurred at, before I came. Mr. Weiss had been uh, kept on. I promised the... Uh, uh, no, I didn't say... You can walk all through that. I said, who decided? The White House decided. Mr. Weiss... Right? They serve at the pleasure of the uh, president, right? Mr. Weiss was. Joe Biden point. decided to keep David Weiss as U.S. Attorney. Uh, you weren't sworn in until March. He was. He was. He was. He was. He was, he was told Mr. he was going to stay on in February. Expired. Pretty fundamental question. Who decided David Weiss was going to stay as U.S. Attorney in Delaware? Mr. Mr. Weiss, Chairman, your time has expired. Chairman, your time has expired. I'm waiting for an answer now, and I'll. You'll well, you asked the question after your time has expired already. Point of order. Gentleman can respond, then I'll go to Ms. Jackson Lee. Mr. Weiss was the um, special uh, uh, U.S. attorney from the District of Delaware when I came on. He had been appointed by President Trump. I promised that he would be permitted to stay on for this investigation, and that is what happened. Gentlemen, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman. Gentleman from uh, New York. All right, let's keep it going. Uh, Laurel Lee gets to 
bother him for a few minutes. Nice. The gentlelady from Florida for five minutes. Good afternoon, Mr. Attorney General. I'd like to return to the earlier discussion about FISA process and the FISC. A number of the members of this committee and of my community are gravely concerned about the well-documented abuses of the FISA process and within the FISC proceedings. In declassified opinions from the FISC in 2018 and 2019, the presiding judge, Bozberg, admonished the FBI, stating, there still appears to be widespread violations of the querying standard by the FBI and that there appears to be a fundamental misunderstanding of some FBI personnel about what the standard reasonably likely to return foreign intelligence information means. Mr. Attorney General, what measures has the FBI instituted since that time to ensure that these abuses are stopped? So we're talking about FBI uh, FISA Section 702. Yes, sir. uh, Which is a central part of our ability to uh, to find out what foreign nation states, foreign terrorists um, are trying to do in the United States. I read, when I first came into the Justice Department as Attorney General, I read the opinions you talked about, and they deeply concerned me. And I agreed when I looked into it that there was a misunderstanding by um, uh, operators as to, uh, and analysts as to uh, what the query standard were. So one of the, was. So one of the very first things I did was send a memo to um, the FBI directing that um, the way in which the Justice Department, particularly the FBI, did uh, the querying be examined and that corrections be made. This uh, was um, an extension of a memorandum that Attorney General Barr had likewise, after he read similar concerns, uh, sent to the FBI at the end of uh, 2020. And Mr. Uh, Attorney General, in addition to other things, the ultimate uh, adjustments included additional attorney oversight, requiring FBI users to affirmatively opt in to search the 702 database, updated guidance and training, and enhanced approval requirements, correct? Yes, ma'am. All that's true, and the consequence was a 93% drop in the number of U.S. person queries. Nonetheless, Mr. Attorney General, you would agree, would you not, that there are continued needs to review, analyze, and make additional improvements and safeguards to ensure that we don't continue seeing these abuses? I do agree. In fact, in recent uh, weeks, we saw even President Biden's Intelligence Advisory Board make recommendations that we continue to revise 702 oversight and restrictions, including a recommendation to direct the DNI and the Attorney General to research potential technological enhancements to the current oversight framework. Tell me what technology might modernize and improve oversight of the 702 process. Uh, One of the technologies that has already worked very effectively is to change this from an opt-out to an opt-in set of queries. So you have to, first of all, um, indicate that you are looking at 702 and not just across the board of of the FBI holdings. You have to have a a drop-down window which explains why um, you are going to do this. Um, it's easy Does that window require the user to input narrative text? That's right. That's right. All right. Um, thank you, Mr. Attorney General. Are there other technology-specific changes that you would recommend? Well, I'd like to consider that more. There are various kinds of auditing programs uh, using technology. The National Security Division, Justice Department, um, has done some of that. The FBI. Um, actually, at the um, uh, request of uh, Attorney General Barr, began an auditing program like that. Um, FBI Director um, Ray, who also agrees that, there, that these um, um, kind of um, noncompliance shouldn't continue, 
put that auditing program into effect within the Justice Department. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. I yield the balance of my time to the Chairman. General Let's see, who's next here? We have, uh, let's go with Russell Fry. The Chair now recognizes the gentleman from South Carolina. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I have a slide um, up here, and I'll start. In October or March of 22, Mr. Weiss was denied the ability to bring charges against Hunter Biden in the District of Columbia. In April of that same year, you testified before the Senate Appropriations Committee that Mr. Weiss was free to run the investigation without interference from the DOJ. According to the IRS whistleblower, there was a meeting in October of 22 where Mr. Weiss said that he was not the deciding official on whether charges were filed. And we know that because we have handwritten notes from the IRS whistleblowers that was confirmed in an email to people in the meeting. Later in January, Mr. Weiss was denied the ability to bring charges again against Hunter Biden in the Central District of California. You testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee in March of this year that he had full authority that Weiss confirmed that to us in a letter in June, that he had been granted, quote, full authority over this matter. But then he kind of backed up. In June 30th, he said, well, just, just kidding. Uh, my charging authority is geographically limited to my home district in Delaware. And of course, you appoint him a special counsel. So why the heck has his story changed so many times over the course of these investigations? Uh, Congressman, I've seen all the three letters. I've read them quite carefully. They are all consistent with each other, and I urge everyone watching this on television or anyone who's interested to look at those three letters. They are not inconsistent with each other, and there's no change in the story. So, but you agree that he had, and you've said this publicly, that he had ultimate authority prior to the appointment of special counsel. I've explained this repeatedly here. I've explained this uh, in, in another proceeding. I said that Mr. Weiss would have the authority to bring a case in any jurisdiction in which he wanted to, and Mr. Weiss has confirmed uh, that he, had, he would have that authority. I explained that if he had to bring a case in another jurisdiction, um, as a matter of mechanics, it would require me to, to me or a, delega a delegatee of mine to, to sign a 515 um, uh, uh, order. Uh, that is uh, very common. But, um, Mr. Attorney and, General, and there was no nothing for, stopping that from happening. Forgive me for a second, though, but that's the, when you say you have ultimate, when he wrote a letter on your behalf in June, I have ultimate authority. This is prior to the designation of special counsel. Ultimate to me means like that you can go wherever you want to. Ultimate so means at, when. At the, that particular point, sir, could he file charges in the District of South Carolina? He would not have that ability, correct? He would have to go through that U.S. attorney. So that's not all authority. All he would have to do is ask me for 515 authority, and I would sign it right away, just like when he asked me to be special counsel. Within three days, I signed that. So he didn't have ultimate authority. He had the authority because I promised that he would have the authority. But he did not have that authority. See, here's where I'm going. If he, if he was denied the ability to bring charges in March of 22 uh, in the District of Columbia, if he was denied the ability to bring charges in January of 23 in the Central District of California, that's not full authority. These, these, these U.S. attorneys operate as gatekeepers, so that's not full authority to, to do much of anything. And you know what's remarkable to me? We sit here and we look at this, and his story has changed so many times. You know whose story hasn't changed? Mr. Shapley, Mr. Ziegler, the, the emails that confirm 
that he said, I don't have, I, I'm not the deciding person on whether charges are filed. And you know what the response back was from his colleague at, uh, at work? Yep, you covered it all, Gary. That is consistent. What Mr. Weiss has done is, is this shell game and saying that he has authority, he doesn't have authority, but these gatekeepers at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia and in the Central District of California, they would have the gatekeeping authority on whether charges are brought in their jurisdictions. I'm sorry. The, that designation, correct? Those words have no meaning, gatekeepers, et cetera. Mr. Weiss said he was never denied authority. I'm the one with the authority to decide who can prosecute in a different jurisdiction, and I promised that he would have that authority. I do not see any inconsistency here. I was not at the meeting that Mr. Shapley was referring to. I know what I guaranteed, and I know what Mr. Weiss has said I guaranteed. Mr. Chairman, I yield the balance of my time. All right, if we're not tired of this yet, we have Andy Biggs. We got Andy Biggs, uh, Mike Johnson, and Matt Gates left. Chair, now recognize the gentleman from Arizona for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, sir, is it the policy of your office for U.S. attorneys to use prosecutorial quotas? I'm sorry, I'm having a little difficulty here. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get right on top of this thing. Is it the policy of your office for U.S. attorneys to use prosecutorial quotas? To prosecute? Yeah, do you have any prosecutorial quotas system in place? No, no. None, none whatsoever. That would be anathema to, uh, to uh, your office then, right? I mean, it's not a policy. So would you no, we, be... We don't, uh, correct, yeah. we do not have quotas. Right. And so would it be consistent with that when you have a prosecutor who said that they're going to pro he wants to prosecute at least 2,000 people who are alleged to have committed a certain type of crime? So, look, I think you're referring to the January 6th question. I'm just asking you, would that be consistent with your office's policy if somebody said, we're going to get, we're going to get up to 2,000 people on a particular crime? Is that consistent with your policy? I think what that U.S. Attorney was referring to was a prediction for how many more cases would still be brought uh, because the court had asked how many more people have he been filed identified. a letter with the court saying that we're, lo we're, gonna, we're looking at upwards of 2,000. We've got 1,200 more in the that we think we're going to get. So you don't, you don't do that for any, anything else, right? So don't you don't do have anything like tax fraud. You're not saying, okay, we're going to have so many people that we want to get for tax fraud, so many people no, we want to we get don't, for we don't lying have on federal firearms If a court asks us what the likely workload will be based on prosecutions what? and investigations that are pending, the uh, U.S. Attorney is obligated to respond. Did you guys provide any, any reference of the number of people you thought uh, you would prosecute who were involved in the 2020 summer uh, riots of the burning of the Portland courthouse while there were still people inside those courthouses. You didn't, you didn't ever file with the court or anything, say, oh, we think we're going to have another 300, 400, whatever it may be, because you didn't file those charges, did you? I'm sorry, I'm not following. I believe that the... I'm sure you're not. The number that you're asking about was... Let me the ask you this question. Let's, ...that let's, the court had asked the U.S. Attorney to make. Let's switch, let's switch topics. Yeah. I, maybe this one would be uh, um, easier to follow, I suppose. Is it the policy of the DOJ to provide advance notice to subjects before, condu before conducting a search for evidence? It, it totally depends on the circumstance. If the circumstance were that you had uh, a guest house where the U.S. attorney, uh, deputy U.S. attorney, saying, well, we know that there's, we, we suspect there's a lot of evidence there, but uh, we're not going to 
we're not going to really follow that up. We're going to, and calls the attorney from the other side saying we were going to do a search warrant. Would, would that be consistent with your policy? Okay. Again, I know this is no hypothetical, um, and I don't know the facts of this case, and I don't know what happened, and I believe the events you're talking about, as reported in the press, occurred under the previous administration. So that, that, No, no, no. No, that event didn't happen in the previous administration. Let's, let's talk about that. I mean, you keep saying this happened in the previous administration. Um, but let's, let's talk about this for just a, mo a moment. You keep saying, I don't know what happened there, but I'm going to opine when it happened. Do you see the, the fallacy of that, the inconsistencies? I don't know when it happened. I don't know what happened because I'm not involved. But it happened under the previous administration. That's so logically fallacious. I'm sorry, I'm not following what's Yeah, I know you're not following. So, yeah. so the question is, you, you've got one of your deputy U.S. attorneys calling the attorney on this side saying, look, we, there's, we're going to go to these two places, uh, probably go in the next couple of days. And, of course, then ultimately the search warrant is called off. Is that, I just want to know, is it consistent to call up people and, where you know that they've got boxes of information, or you suspect they have boxes of information, that's why you got the warrant, that's why you're going to go look, and you give them a heads up so they can move those boxes of information. Would that be consistent with DOJ policy? I'm just going to say again, you're asking me actually to comment about allegations in a particular case about... I'm no, I'm not. not. No, I'm not. I'm asking you, is that consistent with your overall policy? Forget, forget Delaware and what they did and that they actually did that. Let's just talk about generic I'm policy. So, I'm sorry, I thought you were asking about Mar-a-Lago. I, I may not have understood that. I'm oh, sorry. yeah. la -dee -da. So when we're talking about this... When we're talking about your general policy, is it your policy? Is that acceptable when you suspect that there are movable items to call up and say we're going we're to be there to look? Yeah, there's no policy on this question. The strategy and tactics to be used to preserve evidence are left up to the uh, investigators uh, and offices on the ground. Sometimes it would be a serious mistake uh, to call up. Uh, sometimes and, it would and not. Here, and here, once again... You don't know what happened in the Hunter Biden case because that's somebody else is doing it. But, but you can be sure of the timing of when all this took place. That is one of the biggest oddities of your testimony today. I yield back to the gentleman from Colorado. I'm, all right, let's keep it going here. Time has expired. Uh, Mike Johnson will finish with Matt Gates. We'll move to uh, five-minute questions, and we will start with the gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Johnson. Thank you. Mr. Weiss, the rule of law does <clears throat> distinguish our country, but you have not upheld that. You have allowed the rule of law to erode, and that's why 65% of the people in this country have no faith in the Department of Justice under your leadership. They don't trust it. They don't trust you. The reason is because they're witnessing every day a politicized Justice Department in a two-tiered system of justice. For example, they see the DOJ, of course, aggressively prosecuting President Biden's chief political rival, Mr. Trump, while at the same time, they see slow walking and special treatment given to the president's son. That's just a fact that everybody can see with their own two eyes. I want to focus on that investigation of the Biden family. We have many important questions for you today about that. Let me, let me just get right to the chase. Has anyone from the White House provided direction at any time to you personally or to any senior officials at the DOJ regarding how the Hunter Biden investigation was to be carried out? No. Have you had personal contact with anyone at FBI headquarters about the Hunter Biden investigation? Uh, 
don't I don't I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Justice Department. It's uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't part. recollect you don't recollect whether you've talked with anybody at FBI headquarters about an investigation of the president's son? I, I don't believe that I did. I promised the Senate when I came um, before it for confirmation that I would leave Mr. Weiss in place and that I would not interfere with his investigation. Okay, did I you ever... Kept, I have kept that promise. All right. Have you had personal contact with anybody at the Baltimore field office on the Hunter Biden matter? No. On July 10, 2023, U.S. Attorney David Weiss told Senator Lindsey Graham, quote, I had discussions with departmental officials regarding potential appointment under 28 U.S.C. Uh, Section 515, which would have allowed me to file charges in a district outside my own without the partnership of the local U.S. attorney, end quote. With whom did Mr. Weiss have those discussions? I'm not going to get into the internal deliberations of the department. Um, oh, but you must, sir. This is important for us. We have well, oversight responsibility over your department, and we need these answers. That's appropriate and necessary for Mr. Weiss to have conversations with the department. I made clear that if he wanted to bring a case in any jurisdiction, he would be able to do that. The way you do that is to get an order signed by the Attorney General called a 515 order. I promised he would be able to do that, and he in his letters made clear he understood he would be able to do that. Okay. Can you tell us about any briefings or discussions that you personally have had with Mr. Weiss regarding any and all federal investigations of Hunter Biden? I'm going to say again. Promised the Senate that I would not interfere with Mr. Weiss. So you have not, I'm just under oath today, your testimony is you have not had any discussions with Mr. Weiss about this matter? Under oath, my testimony today is that I promised that the, uh, the Senate I would not um, intrude in his investigation. I do not intend to discuss the internal Justice Department uh, liberations, whether or not I had them. Oh, okay, so your, your testimony today is you're not going to tell us whether you've had discussions with Mr. Weiss. My testimony today is I told the committee that I would not interfere. I made clear that Mr. Weiss would have the authority to bring cases that he thought were appropriate. Okay. Mr. Weiss's All right. letter... Okay, let me stop you. For, for a second time, sir. Are you aware that FBI officials have come before this committee and they have stated that there was a cumbersome bureaucratic process that Mr. Weiss had to go through to bring charges in another judicial district. You know that? I'm not aware, but that's not true. There's nothing cumbersome about the process. So those All whistleblowers are to... lying to us under oath? They're, those whistleblowers are lying? I that you're say that. that. Their description of the process cumbersome is an opinion. It's not a fact question. All I have to do is okay. sign a right. section. Let me get to the fact. Mr. Weiss has been the lead prosecutor on the Hunter Biden case since 2018, correct? I'm sorry? Mr. Weiss has been the lead prosecutor on the Hunter Biden case since 2018. Now, here's the question. Been the lead it, prosecutor since he was appointed by President Trump. Okay, and why? I, let me ask you: Why has the Justice Department dragged this investigation out for so long? Does it really take years to determine if Hunter Biden lied on a federal form related to purchasing a firearm? Mr. Weiss was a longtime career prosecutor. President Trump appointed him as. You're not answering the question. Is that standard procedure? Should it take that long to make such a simple determination? I'm answering the question. Mm -hmm. Give me an opportunity to do so. Okay. He was charged uh, with that investigation under the previous administration. He's continued. He knows how to conduct investigations, and I have not intruded or attempted to evaluate that because I, that was the promise I made to the Senate. The whistleblowers uh, gave us testimony about serious misconduct at the Justice Department in regards to the preferential treatment afforded Hunter Biden. Has your office requested an investigation into that? 
Uh, there are well-known processes for how whistleblowers make their claims. I am a strong proponent of whistleblowers and a strong defender. We have an Inspector General's office. We have an Office of Professional Responsibility. That is the way in which complaints from whistleblowers should be and are appropriately handled. I'm out of time. You're back. Gentlemen, you're back. The chair recognizes. All right, so uh, we'll wrap this up with Matt Gates here. The gentleman floor is recognized five minutes. I guess I'm just wondering, Mr. Attorney General, has anyone at the department told President Biden to knock it off with Hunter? I mean, you guys are charging Hunter Biden on some crimes, investigating him on, on others. You've got the president bringing Hunter Biden around to state dinners. Has anyone told him to knock it off? Our job in the Justice Department is to pursue our cases without reference uh, to what's happening in the outside world. But just that, yes or no, have you done that? That is what we do. So it's a no? No one that I know of has spoken to the White House about the Hunter Biden case. I'm wondering then, okay, I got it, I got it. So Hunter Biden is selling art to pay for his $15,000 a month rent in Malibu. How can you guarantee that the people buying that art aren't doing so to gain favor with the president. The job of the Justice Department is to investigate criminal allegations. We have information. Are you investigating this? I mean, someone who bought Hunter Biden's art ended up with a prestigious appointment to a federal position. Doesn't it look weird that he's, making, he's become this immediate success in the art world as his dad is president of the United States? Isn't that odd? I'm not going to comment about any specific... Not going to comment, not going to investigate. So right. Hunter Biden associate Devin Archer told us that Hunter sold the appearance of access to then-Vice President Biden. Are you confident he has stopped doing that? I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. Hunter Biden associate Devin Archer told us that Hunter sold the appearance of access to then-Vice President Biden. Are you confident he has stopped? I'm going to say again that all these matters are within the purview of Mr. Weiss... I have not interfered with them, and yeah, I do not. Yeah, but if you were confident that he had stopped, you could And I do not intend to us. interfere with yeah, him. I wanna, so it was a lot of Chinese money that was working its way through these shell companies into the accounts of the Biden family. So the China initiative was set up during the Trump administration at the Department of Justice to go after the malign influence of, of the Chinese Communist Party, and the Biden Justice Department dissolved the China initiative. So I guess I'm wondering, does the department have any documents uh, that would detail the basis for why you got rid of the China initiative that President Trump had set up? The Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division gave a long speech which explained that. He has testified before Congress several times. We'd be happy to provide you with What's the basis? Just tell us all now. What, why, why was the China initiative dissolved? What, uh, the, what the Assistant Attorney General said was that we face attacks from four nation states, North Korea, China, Russia, and Iran, and that we need to focus our attention on the broad range of these attacks. Sometimes we but, don't but wait know. A second. You don't, are you saying that North Korea has the same malign influence risk to the United States as the Chinese Communist Party? Are you, are you trying to represent there's some parity there? Because cause here's what it looks like. It looks like the Chinese gave all this money to the Bidens, and then you guys came in and got rid of the China initiative, and it was successful. Like, I saw one rationale that you guys got rid of the China initiative because it was racial profiling. 
But, but one of the people you convicted was a guy named Charles Lieber, who was a Harvard professor taking $50,000 a month to do China's bidding and give them whatever research was being done. Are, are you aware of the millions of dollars that moved through Rob Walker's shell companies from Chinese Communist Party entities into Biden family bank accounts? Are you aware of that? There were a lot of questions that you just asked. Let me start with the first one about North Korea. North Korea is a dangerous actor, both kinetically and with respect to cyber. But not on par with China. I'm on I'm the not, Armed Services I'm not Committee, in the Mr. Business Attorney right General. Now it's, it's, okay, it's, it makes uh, you look uh, unserious to suggest may that. May I answer your question or not? Answer the question about whether or not you know about all the millions of dollars that so moved you don't want Walker's me to answer in. about North Korea? I already know the answer, and so does everyone. They're not the same risk as China. So let's get on to serious questions and serious answers. Do you know about the money that moved through Rob Walker's shell companies, yes or no? As I have said repeatedly, I have left ma these matters to Mr. Weiss. I've not blissfully intruded. Ignorant. I've not interfered. I've not tried to find out it's what like he knows. It's like you're looking the other way on purpose it's because everybody knows this stuff's happening. And you know what? People don't pay bribes to not get something in return. Right? We, the, the China initiative resulted in the convictions of a Harvard professor, of someone at Monsanto. So we were working against the Chinese. They paid the Bidens. And now, we're, now you're sitting here telling me that I'm, North Korea is the big threat. I've got to get to this one thing on January well, I, I, So did the FBI, did the FBI lose count of the number of paid informants on January 6th? Let me did answer you? your question about China. I China want you to answer this question. Most... I only get five minutes. You've already you, sort of, I think, asked the pooch on China. So January 6th, did you lose count of the number of federal assets? Did you lose count and order an audit? Gentlemen's time has expired. I, I get an answer to the question of did, he, did they lose count? Well, let the him number? answer the question. The time has expired. The, the Attorney General can respond. China is the most aggressive, most dangerous adversary the, the, General, the United the, States faces, and we are doing everything within our power to rebut that, to stop that to prevent their invasions, both kinetic both, um, and through cyberspace. And we will continue if you, to If do someone that. gave that answer in your courtroom when you were a judge, you would tell them they were being non-responsive and you would direct them to answer the question. Point of order, Your Honor. Badgering the witness. Point of order, please. Expired. I, I got it. I just, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was You like Your Honor? You want to stick with that? Yeah, I, I was getting okay. laughed at you call me Your Honor. I point of order either way. Okay, I understand that too. All right. But. The gentleman asked his question before his time expired. The attorney general did not respond to the gentleman's question. I was hoping he would respond to the question about the confidential human sources on January 6th. He didn't respond to that. I'm sure we're going to get, uh, uh, we're going to uh, get uh, an answer uh, to that uh, later. Of, of course, now, Mr. Chairman. There, were, there were eight the questions before that that he was not given a chance to answer. Understand, so but I, the witness might have thought. But the witness doesn't, Mr. Chairman, point of order. The witness does not control the hang, time. Hang on. Exactly right. Members control the time. If they want to switch their question and focus on one more question that they'd like an answer to, I want to give the witness a chance to respond to that final question that Mr. Gates asked. He didn't respond to it. Someone else is going to ask it, I'm sure. We now recognize the gentleman from Tennessee for five minutes. All right, so that was Merrick Garland's. Basically, we shared an hour of stonewalling. So I, I don't think... Uh, I don't think Merrick Garland's fooling anybody, but what do I know? All right, I want to switch up here. We do have a guest. We have Kimo joining us at the top of the hour. And uh, I have a few more clips I want to go over here. I do want to get into the Michael Obama transformation because he is such a nice lady. I want to hit this tonight, right now. Well, Ted Cruz sits down and gives us some shocking news. I'm Doug in exile. 
Thank you guys for watching. Thanks for subscribing. First, let me know what you guys think. What would Michelle be our first what president? Here's Ted Cruz. If it's just the kingmaker saying, nope, we pick you, whoever doesn't get picked, everyone else is pissed. So here's the scenario that I think is perhaps most likely and most dangerous. If the kingmakers of the Democrat Party pick Gavin Newsom, everyone else gets mad. Cory Booker, everyone's mad. If they come in and they pick Kamala Harris, they'll say, why her when she's so terrible? There's a whole lot of candidates that uh, are going to anger all of the Democrats. For instance, we saw Sonny Hostin say it better be Kamala Harris. Well, there is a more prominent black woman than Kamala Harris, and that's Michelle Obama. So this is one pick that the Democrats won't get in trouble for going over all the other heads and picking being a kingmaker. In August of 2024, the Democrat kingmakers jettisoned Joe Biden and parachute in Michelle Obama. Okay, I know you guys are freaking out at this. I personally am predicting Gavin Newsom as the pick, but him being a white and the mark of the beast of revelation is a bit of a problem. Michelle doesn't have that same look and influence among people. She's considered much more natural to be picked, okay? Why August of 2024 over, why a year from now? Well, because then it's too late. Biden can do all of his sleepwalking stuff. All of the Trump indictments can work their way out. And they come in with a clean slate. We got someone new. It's Michelle Obama. And the way Democrat delegates work, they can basically just do a kingmaker. They can just pick her and fly her in as the candidate. And I want you to pause and reflect on oh, that. Oh, I'm pausing, and I'm reflecting, as we said, and so is everybody else listening right now. I view this as a very serious danger. I'm smiling right now because it terrifies me, and I also could totally see this happening. As much as everyone's afraid of it, they also say, well, of course it makes perfect sense. The one thing that doesn't make sense of it, by the way, is that Michelle has never even given the tiniest whiff of wanting to be president. And I believe this about her. I really believe she's, I don't know about lazy, but just relaxed. I don't think she wants to do that terrible, awful job. But I think she might just stand up and have to do it for her husband. So Michelle Obama, number one, you don't infuriate African-American women, which is a critical part of the constituency that Democrats are relying on to win. But number two, you avoid the problem. If you pick from any of the four, the other three are pissed because they're all, to some extent, peers, they're rivals, they're all jabbing knives at each other. Michelle Obama, because she was first lady, has the ability to kind of parachute in above all four and say, hey, we're not picking among any of you. You guys can all fight it out next time. You're all going to be on the same level. We're coming. This is the Obamas saving the day. And I think in terms of a solution that unifies Democrats, there ain't nothing like that. Okay, that makes this the most dangerous because it unifies the most Democrats. The problem is they have, I haven't seen one sign from Michelle that this is what she wants to do. I also think Michelle is not all that eager to run for president, but to parachute in in August of 24, a couple of months before the presidency, and suddenly wake up and be president? Not a bad, not a bad gig. It's not a bad gig at all. Now, would she do it? I don't know. So even Ted Cruz is acknowledging 
what we've all seen pretty much publicly, this woman does not want to be president. The question is, how serious of a leftist is she? Because if she senses that call of duty, that is the kind of thing that activists, we respond to. It's like, look, I'm needed. I have to go answer this call. She is going to do it. She has to go in and answer this call. Now I'm more open to Michelle than before, but I still don't think even she realizes she's going to run yet. I've, I've met Michelle, but I don't know her personally in any meaningful way. I don't know if she would do it. I do think Barack Obama is already running the Biden administration. I think he is already the puppet master behind this Biden White House. I don't think Joe Biden is the decision maker. And so when I see the media turning on Joe Biden right now, I think the odds of Michelle Obama parachuting in in August of 2024 have risen dramatically. And that ought to scare the hell out of anyone who, who is unhappy about the direction this country is going and doesn't want us to go even crazier in an even worse direction. So one thing that I do agree with this thing being a disaster is it takes away all of the Republicans' arrows against Biden. She's not too old. She has not destroyed the economy because it's been Biden, the face Biden doing it, even though Obama's behind the scenes, Biden's the face that's doing it all. So suddenly all your weapons, you guys thought it'd be easy, thought you'd walk this city going like 81 million votes. Uh, Biden, I, I don't see any arenas filling for, Bi for Biden. All that gets taken away. What are you going to do if they don't run Biden? I don't think they're running Biden. So all of the attacks that we come up with all the way through August of 2024, August of next year, get canceled out. Okay? They're taken away from you. They bring in Michelle Obama, and it's a whole new game, even if it's against Trump. But you guys tell me down in the description down below in the comments, do you believe in this transition from Michelle the First Lady to becoming the president? Do you think they might pull that one over on the American people? What else could, are they pulling over on the American people? I'm Doug in exile. A man carrying a loaded gun was arrested outside a campaign event in Los Angeles for Democratic presidential hopeful Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Friday. According to NBC News, the LAPD apprehended and charged 44-year-old Adrian Iceboro for posing as a U.S. Marshal. RFK Jr. was speaking at an event honoring National Hispanic Heritage Month. He took to X, formerly known as Twitter, to thank those who intercepted the perpetrator, writing, quote, I'm very grateful that alert and fast-acting protectors from Gavin DeBecker and associates spotted and detained an armed man who attempted to approach me. I'm also grateful to LAPD for its rapid response. Kennedy Jr. also said he hopes President Biden will finally grant his request to have Secret Service protection. He made a request back in July, but was, of course, denied. Uh, this is uh, very scary um, stuff to have this armed person uh, pretend to be security to try to get closer to you. That was a photo of the man, I believe, in, in that post. Um, yeah, this is very serious and scary. Um, well, obviously, it would be anyway, but I, if you were RFK Jr., we might have uh, additional rightful paranoia about assassination, given what has happened to so many members of your family. Well, uh, well apparently, this 
potential assassination attempt happened just two miles east of where his own father was assassinated uh, uh, back in 1968. Crazy. The parallels are remarkable. And I, and I got to say, it was, I was reminded of an incident that happened just a few days ago online uh, where there was a story that got written um, uh, uh, about RFK Jr. where he was um, uh, arguing that the president of the United States should be healthy enough to make it through all four years. And in response to him saying we should be voting for a president who we can expect to complete the term, many, many, many accounts uh, responded big words from a Kennedy obviously making fun of the idea that so many of his family members have been politically assassinated, which felt, at the very least, in bad taste to to some of us. But in light of now this assassination attempt, you know, does it feel like something akin to, I know this is a controversial term, but something akin to stochastic terrorism for people to be on the Internet making jokes about um, the assassination of a political candidate simply because they don't agree with his beliefs. Yeah, that's scary stuff. Um, so do you think it would be proper for Biden to greenlight Secret Service protection faster than the timeline? I remember we had some haggling over the exact dates of when that was supposed to take place. Um, yeah. We, I think the, the, the tweet RFK Jr. had about that was not quite accurate for when it's supposed to mm-hmm. kick in, but maybe in this case it should kick in earlier if he's had a an actual armed assailant come up and with a plan to say I'm part of the security detail to get in. That's that That's takes a little it, bit of for you know, more for planning than you know just a crazy person or something. And the, not that that's less scary, but that had the had the um, had the the mind um, plan strategy to get there in using that method. Yeah. So my understanding is that. Uh, major presidential, yeah, that, that major presidential and vice presidential candidates and their spouses get Secret Service protection within 120 days of a general presidential election. And I can't do math. We're obviously over a year out, um, nowhere close to 120 days. Now, Barack Obama had uh, protection authorized for him. Uh, at an earlier date, nearly nine months before voting began in the Democratic primaries for president, it was the earliest the Secret Service had ever uh, been issued as security detail to uh, a candidate. Um, they declined to provide details at the time of what prompted the elevated security for President Obama. This is a reading mm-hmm. from a contemporaneous New York Times article. But it did seem to be responsive to the historic nature of his candidacy and the idea that he was getting, as I understand it, an unprecedented number of threats to his life because of being a black man. Now, if there is similar evidence that RFK Jr. is being targeted, whether because of his beliefs or because he's a Kennedy or what have you, it does seem like issuing protection in advance might be appropriate. But it is worth noting that it seems less like RFK Jr. is being signaled out for not getting protection and more like Obama was signaled out for getting an unprecedented uh, level of protection, at least an earlier start date for that protection. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like he, it would be worthwhile in this case. Um, there's got to be a lot of fear, again, given everything going on in that campaign. So uh, so it is interesting. Um, I know people are, you know, there's going to be a lot of people saying that they're out to, this was a this was a law, a CIA or something, or this sure. was a, a you know a, a 
uh, uh, this was the government's trying to silence him or something. Obviously, there's no evidence of that, but, uh, you know, people have a lot of views about who was really behind um, the Kennedy assassinations, including RFK Jr. himself. Uh, I, I can't remember quite if he said it on our show when we interviewed him, but he said it on other shows that he, he thinks there was government involvement in, uh, in at least the assassination of his uncle. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he said it about the assassination of his own father, mm -hmm. but uh, he does have suspicion and skepticism when it comes to what happened to President JFK. Which also raises the question of whether this government detail is going to make him feel safer. Right. Um, if you do think on some level it was a quote-unquote inside yeah, job. Yeah, I'd let Gavin DeBecker and Associates keep handling it. <laughs> what, remind us what Gavin DeBe DeBecker and Associates I don't know. Gavin, I think Gavin DeBecker is his main financial backer, right? I see. That's the person who gave him uh, the most money. Um, so it's a private security I believe firm. so. I don't know. Okay, yeah, they have this uh, academy for protectors. It, yeah, it does seem like a... Yeah, I, well... He donated yeah. $4.5 million to the super PAC that supports RFK Jr.'s campaign. So he's yeah. the major financial backer. Yeah, I, it feels a little dystopian to be... <laughs> backer the backer. It feels a little dystopian to be having to guard your investment with your own private yeah. security. I mean, people hire private security. Yeah, I'm just saying it's dystopian because you can't trust the state's police force or the, yeah. the, the government's police force. To Wait, do those, the aren't, some of those, uh, aren't some of those defund the police people using, using secret... Uh, Using uh, their uh, uh, private security firms, I thought that there was I'm not something right-wing people made a big, maybe like Cory Bush I've or something like that. that. I, I, I'm not, well, I'm not denying me, it. Let I me just Google it to make sure I'm not from the. Um, I, I, yeah, it was Cory Bush. Private security. Yes. Um, yes. I had yeah, that's a, that's explain a position just despite spending on private security. No, that's a, it's a. It's a yeah. sad state of affairs where people feel like they can't be protected by the police for whatever reason. And I think it is a question for mm. what, how exactly you have to reform that, that sort of practice. But I'd be very interested to see what the public response is from other presidential candidates. Vivek Ramaswamy, I know, offered uh, his support and condolences on Twitter after RFK Jr. tweeted out this news. Um, but it will be interesting to see if RFK Jr.'s um, desire for more official uh, protection is actually listened to or if there's any response sure. from the White House uh, as a consequence of this attempt. More from that if we hear anything else and stick around for more Rising after this. There are a lot of people who are worried that Klaus Schwab is going to totally dominate their life and that the World Economic Forum agenda is going to leave them miserable and penniless. Today, I'm going to tell you why I believe that's just an excuse and show you examples from over 100 countries visited of where you'll be able to go if times get tough. Here's a tweet from one of our fans who said he spoke to a friend in the Netherlands who's hoarding fuel and water and food and bought a because he's convinced there's going to be nowhere to run. That's a common theme, and I'm going to talk more about that a little bit later in this episode. The tweeter said he spent three months in Zanzibar in Africa. Old Nokia's, cash only, friendly people, and really Wild West. Not even the government is in control. And he went on to make the point that there's always going to be somewhere to go. That's something that we've said for years, talking economically. If you want to protect your money from something that some crazy Western government is doing, there's always going to be a place where you can go, whether it's a place to avoid the war on cash, whether it's a place to avoid crazy high taxes, whether it's a place to avoid a culture where people think that your success isn't yours, 
or if you believe your country is just changing and you want to go somewhere better. In my opinion, there will always be somewhere to go to fill the void. And even though a lot of Western governments hate competition and are trying to squash your ability to open offshore bank accounts and get second citizenship, the world is inherently competitive. And countries who want to put themselves on the map, want to be more wealthy, want to be more successful, always step up and say, hey, you want to pay less taxes? Come over here. Hey, you want, don't want to do that? Come over here. And I believe the same thing will happen if times get tough in the West. Now, I'm not talking about my views on this idea of Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum. I'm simply saying if you believe it's a serious threat, that I'm going to tell you that you can avoid it by having a backup plan and another place to live. Because what Robert Kiyosaki told our audience at Nomad Capitalist Live in 2021 was that you're going to have three days when times get tough. Where can you get in three days? It's a good idea to have a little bit of extra food around the house, being prepared, being ready for a power outage or whatever else could happen, good idea. But from my perspective, I don't plan to uh, fight with the government when things get tough. I don't think that my vote counts. I don't think that I'm going to effectively fight back. And quite frankly, I don't want to live a life where I'm always fighting. I don't want to be on my roof, you know, waiting for the military to come. I just want to be, as Doug Casey says, far away watching it on television. In fact, I'm not even going to watch it on television because I'm just going to be well enough diversified and prepared that I'm going to be enjoying my life and creating value. I don't spend as much time worrying with this because I have multiple citizenships, money in all kinds of places, homes in different places, and each one has a different profile that would be a good place to go. So during the pandemic, when there were lockdowns in different places, I continued to travel. And there were times when certain countries were more flexible. There were times when I, as a permanent resident or citizen, uh, had an easier condition than others. And quite frankly, for all the talk that Florida, for example, is the place to go, Malaysia, where I was living uh, when COVID started, actually opened up sooner than Florida. And so I'm going to share my experience from being in over 100 countries, living in more than a dozen, about where there will always be a place to go. Because this idea that if the globalists take over America, there will be nowhere safe for you to be, I'm sorry. This is an excuse concocted by people who so desperately feel they don't have options. They feel so desperately out of control. They feel this patriotic duty because they were born in a country that no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets, they're supposed to stay there and fix it, or they have no other choice. What I can tell you is countries have their own thought processes, their own cultures, their own goals. Part of the problem why the West is getting out of control is because it's what people, especially young people, want. 30% of Gen Z Americans say you should have security cameras inside your home to make sure no one ever suffers abuse. I don't think you'd find that in Serbia or in any number of other countries around the world. And so this idea that like wherever the U.S. goes, every single country will follow, just look at my big bellwether in the last year and a half, the Russia-Ukraine war. 15% of the world's population lives in a country that is supporting Ukraine. And again, this is not my thoughts on Russia or Ukraine. I've talked about that separately. A little bit more than that lives in a country like India or South Africa, Nicaragua and others that are saying we're actively pro-Russia. Obviously, India is a huge country. And then you've got most of the world that says, whatever, we're neutral for convenience or we just don't care. We're busy. We've got our own problems. Leave us alone. Do you really think that, let's take Serbia, for example, their entire diet is meat. You go to Serbia to a restaurant. Hey, can I have one vegetable? Vegetable. It's a giant pile of meat. That's the entire country. They have their own fashion. They have their own um, everything, really. And they have a culture that even though they're the doorstep of Europe, 
they don't want to become Europe. They're not in the European Union. They want to uh, maybe have some trade agreements with Europe. They want to have some deals with different, but they do deals with Russia. They do deals with China. They do deals with Europe. There are countries like that. You know, Vanuatu in the South Pacific has kind of done that. Other countries kind of leverage certain neutrality and say, listen, we're just going to be who we want to be. You fly from Europe to Serbia. I mean, it is, it is dramatically different. And whether you like it or not, uh, I go to one of my favorite restaurants, Frange in Belgrade. And at Frange, they have the ladies portion. If you want 50% of the food for 65% of the price, you can order the ladies portion, as the waiters call it. You think you'd get away with that in Germany or in New York City? Of course you wouldn't. But they're like, listen, that's what we want to be. We want men to be men and women to be women and men to feel comfortable. They're big bus. You know, men just went to Montenegro a couple of weeks ago, get the taxi. This guy is like the biggest human being I've ever seen. This guy's ripped. And he's listening to the Montenegrin version of Selena because they're just comfortable with who they are. You come over to the Balkans and you see it's an entirely different culture. And they're going to reject, by and large, most of this stuff of like, wait a second, I've got to share a blender? I'm not sharing blender. I don't want blender. It's not a problem for me sharing. I don't want this blender. And so you can just go to countries like that and see how differently places are going to respond. If you're an American, you say, oh, well, Canada's doing the same thing. Of course Canada's doing the same thing. You're looking at the countries that are basically exactly like yours, that 15% of the world's population. Look at who could just come to the United States without a visa. It's about 42 countries now. Some of these countries have literally hundreds of thousands of citizens. It's not many people who are in your ecosystem if you're living in a country like the United States. So what I'll tell you from 100 countries visited is it's going to be dramatically different. And I think that some of these countries have done a very good job of saying, we're going to be around you, but we're going to do our own thing. And it's nationalist in a sense of, listen, we may not date outside of our culture. We may not uh, you know, do as much business. And listen, even if we're not going to be as wealthy as other countries around us, that's fine. We want to have our values. Now, there are countries like Bhutan, for example. You're not going to move to Bhutan. You're not going to become Bhutanese. They have successfully said, we don't even want tourism. We'd rather have our majestic forests. We don't want to cut down our forests. You know, the most important thing for us is our citizens are happy. There are countries that actually care about their citizens, believe it or not. And I can tell you, while Americans were waiting six to nine months to get a passport during the pandemic, there were countries where I was walking in and getting it in literally four or five hours. And I continue to hear stories from friends around the world who live in smaller countries where the government, therefore, has to be a bit more responsive to them. And they actually have to serve them. If you're living in a country where you are more of what Doug Casey would call a milk cow, and Doug Casey speaking at Nomad Countless Live again, it's our annual live event, you don't want to miss it. But if you are a milk cow, you're just going to be milked by the government. Do you think they care what you want? You, you have whatever thoughts you have about this WEF stuff. Uh, but what I can tell you is most people around the world are not talking about the stuff that you are talking about. Take it from the guy who spends time, pretty much 100% of his time, in these up-and-coming countries. Take it from the guy who's lived in that world for well over a decade now. Sorry to say, I think I get a little bit more of a vote on how the preferences of a place in the Balkans, or Southeast Asia, or South America, or Central America works, or to a little extent, even Africa, because I've been to a number of places in Africa, than someone who just lives and watches CNN or Fox News or Newsmax or, you know, whatever other channel you want to watch. Take a look, for example, at, you know, this 
non-CBDC countries. There are countries, including a few Western ones, that said, we don't want these uh, CBDCs. So that's an issue to you. There's places where they're like, no, we don't want this. Uh, there are countries that are saying, no, we're not going along with the global minimum tax. Not that many, uh, but there are some. There are countries that have said, no, we don't want to share our information uh, on banking and certain things like that. This idea that there's nowhere to run is a sort of pornography for people who just don't want to move or feel they can't move. And so when I tell you that Nomad Capital helps seven and eight figure entrepreneurs and investors, you say, oh, well, if I'm not a millionaire, there's nothing for me to do. Of course, there are things for you to do. Look at Central and South America. Many countries have residence programs. You don't even have to live there to keep your residence permit necessarily. And you can get that residence permit by having an income. for like the really foo-foo places. And you can have that residence permit and you can live there. We've talked about places where you can live for 25 cents on the dollar. Uh, And some of those places, quite frankly, I think are better than American cities. Not all of them, but some of them. And so there's somewhere where everyone can go. Now, if you are a seven or eight figure or nine or 10 figure individual, you've got tax considerations. You probably want to get a better passport. There's a lot of things that we help you get. And unlike other companies that just focus on getting citizenship in one of five countries, we've helped our clients get citizenship in well over two dozen countries, uh, set up bank accounts in four dozen countries, move to 31 different tax-friendly countries and a few non-tax-friendly countries. We are truly the architect and general contractor of bespoke plans for successful people who want to go where they're treated best and who realize that, hey, listen, maybe I want to live in my country for now. But if some of this crazy stuff I'm hearing about comes to pass, I want to have a place where I can be in three days, as Robert Kiyosaki told us. And so if you have these residences and citizenships and homes, part of what what makes me very comfortable is I have a home to go to. I can go there, whichever is most convenient or whichever suits my lifestyle at the moment. And I have the ability to move around. If you're someone who has the capacity to do that and you're worried about some of the stuff that's happening in the West, I can tell you. Yes, during the pandemic, for example, there were some countries that were more navigable than others. But if you have options, you're going to be in a much better position. You can have options no matter what. We we created our live event, Nomad Capitalist Live, for everybody to come to, no matter how much money you have, and learn about some of the stuff that we talk about. Uh, Because I think everyone has the ability to move. If you have seven or eight figures, we help because you've got, again, all the tax and finances and all that. There's a lot of stuff to figure out. Please. Stop with there's nowhere to run. You don't have to go to Zanzibar. That's a little further afield. I will tell you that many expats have chosen to go to Paraguay. Some have just chosen to get a residence permit there and keep it in their back pocket. We call it a back pocket residence permit. Paraguay is kind of the most up and coming, you know, free place in South America. We've talked about countries like Ecuador, where you can get land for pennies on the dollar, beautiful land with food, and you can really talk about the Uh, preparing yourself for whatever happens. By the way, Doug Casey would say, yeah, some of these countries are left-wing. You'll just be the rich foreigner. They'd all right, whatever, he's over there. Leave leave them alone. So as the U.S. becomes, and other Western countries become slightly less relevant every year in a multipolar world, it's worth saying, what's the antidote to where I live now? Yes, as I always say, if you're American or you're Canadian or you're Australian and your grandfather was Greek, Get that Greek passport. Give yourself the ability to live anywhere in Europe, but go one step further. What's the country that's totally different than where you live now or the countries? Pick one to bank in. 
right? Maybe that's a Singapore, maybe that's a Liechtenstein, maybe it's whatever, where they focus on keeping your wealth safe. And then figure out where will you be safe. And if you do that, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be one of the folks getting angry at me that there's nowhere to go. And you can stop because you'll start seeing the world and you'll start saying, wait a second, people over there are much more conservative than my country. Wait a second, people over there, they fought a war 20 years ago. They don't want to go back to being told what to do. Wait a second, they were communists 30 years ago. They don't want communism. They want full-scale capitalism. That's why their economy is now freer than the U.S., even though it was communist 30 years ago. You will start to see this. It's what I've seen for many, many years of my life. It's why I've realized there is going to be somewhere to go because some place is going to want to say, we're, here, we're ready to be competitive. Look at real estate prices in Dubai in the last two years. They've more than doubled because people said what Dubai had to offer during the pandemic, when it comes to taxes, as politicians rattle the saber on taxes, and many other things, that's a place they want to have a property. Not everyone's living there. Some of them are just keeping that property in their back pocket that the next time some politician jacks up their taxes, they can go there. You want the same thing. If this Klaus Schwab stuff is on your radar, you want the same thing for Whenever the box is checked that I'm angry, three days I can get somewhere. I'm not running from something if I'm doing that. I'm saying, wait a second, I'm an American. I believe in the principles of America, the idea. That's going to be somewhere else. Let me run to that and let everybody else who wants me to be surveilled in my own bloody house, let them stay behind and deal with what they've built. I didn't want that for my country, so I'm going to have a place that gives me the values that I have financially and personally. And if you do that, there will always be a place to go. All right. I think we got time for one more clip here. So I'm going to go ahead and see what we can get in here. So we might have time for, for two, but let's get into Trump versus Jack Smith. A new strategy emerges in the wake of the coming government lockdown over the budget. Trump says, shut the government down. Let's delay Jack Smith's giant attack against Trump. I think it's hilarious. It's a strategy I hadn't even considered yet. And it just now shows how all of this stuff is turning so quickly. New strategies are developing. Thank you guys for subscribing. I'm Doug Tenapel. This is Doug in Exile. Where we're covering Trump's four indictments. This one I didn't see. Let's get to the headlines. Trump's latest legal gambit could cause a cascade of trial delays, New York warns. Let me find this. Where's my glasses at? Here we go. First, here's postponing Trump's upcoming trial on business fraud might have a ripple effect on all the other Trump cases the state attorney general said. So first, any delay in any of Trump's cases, push them back, get them to collide with each other, screws up the entire order of business. And that's what this is all about. Remember, the Democrats, they do not want justice. They just want to tie Trump up before the election. If their schedule, their precious little schedule starts getting jumbled up and crossing each other, and cases start getting pushed back and canceled, and Trump can push them back beyond the 2024 election, he wins. So that's his goal. Now you see what the two sides are trying to do. New York Donald Trump's trial calendar is a delicate balancing act, one that could be upended by the possible delay of the first in a long string of Trump trials scheduled to begin early next month. The New York Attorney General's office argued in a court filing. So that's 
the bad guys in New York saying that. The Attorney General's office wrote that any delay in the upcoming civil fraud trial against Trump, which is set to begin October 2nd, is likely to create a cascade of delays in not only this case, but also other litigations involving petitioner Donald Trump, unquote. Once again, Trump's like, I got you guys. It's so easy to delay uh, a court case. Here's another headline. Trump, who led the longest government shutdown in U.S. history, calls on Republicans to let it happen again in nine days so they can, quote, defund these political prosecutions against me, unquote. They hadn't thought of that, that he can defund the government. Quote, Republicans in Congress can and must defund all aspects of crooked Joe Biden's weaponized government that refuses to close the border and treats half the country as enemies of the state. Trump posted on his site, that's Truth Social. He continues, quote, this is also the last chance to defund these political prosecutions against me and other patriots. They failed on the debt limit, but they must not fail now. Use the power of the purse and defend the country, unquote. This is a brilliant strategy. I love it. I think it's good just that Trump is a change agent. He's not even in office and he's just crashing all their furniture, turning over tables. They're all panicking. Once again, his name is in the headlines over just a little tweet that he gives. Final headline, Trump demands Republicans shut down government to, quote, defund his criminal prosecution. This is brilliant. Did you guys see this one coming on the government shutdown? Let me know in the comments below what you think. Will this work? Let us know. Don't be quiet down there. And of course, subscribe if you haven't joined us yet. I'm Doug in exile. All right, everybody. So we're, our guest is going to be on in just a few minutes. I'm going to go take a quick time out here so we can have a fresh board when, the, when our caller calls in. Kimo will be joining us here. Uh, fellow comedian friend, uh, so let's grab a break while we can. And, well, I'll see you on the other side. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. That's right. The Jokers and Jesters Comedy Tour is back on the road. We are currently promoting our second Amazon Prime special, Jokers and Jesters, the next special. We will be touring small towns across this great country of ours, so for our tour dates, follow us on Facebook at Jokers and Jester Comedy Tour or at our website, jokersandjester.com. It's a great night of music, laughter, and magic. Don't miss us as we come to a small town near you. partner and I just got our new Lysenica Freedom Microchips. 
these microchips are awesome. They helped me keep the freedom I used to before enrolled into Southern Hampshire Institute in Technology. I am Jamar. I am friends with Mike and his birthing partner. We met at SHIT. I am a liberal media major. I also just got a Lysenica Freedom Microchip. SNSHIT recently mandates everyone on campus get their Freedom Microchip. I jumped on the Lysenica joint. This Freedom Chip grants me the freedom to go everywhere I was allowed to before COVID. Now this chip tells me when I am and am not allowed to go outside. It also tracks my boosters. If I'm not up to date on a chip, it tells me when I need to get it by. This chip is sweet. Without this Freedom Chip no one is allowed on our campus. I scan my hand whenever I want to pay for something. It also calls for an ambulance when I get another heart attack from a booster. Which is totally not a heart attack from getting a gene therapy. These Freedom Chips are free. You can go to any drugstore or China Mart. An employee with inserted in your wrist. Remember, it is not the mark of the beast. You just need to let Lysenica track and trace your every move. You just need a Freedom Chip to buy, sell, work, and live. When you get a microchip, look for the Lysenica Freedom Microchips. They are sweet. Okay. One more time. This is your foot. This is shoes. This. This is your foot in shoes. I, I can't move. Any questions? A little help. This public service announcement brought to you by Zero Shoes. Feel the freedom. Feel the fun. Feel the world in Zero Shoes.
All right, everybody, welcome back. It's our third hour of our three-hour Proof Negative show. I am here every Monday through Thursday, 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. That is 6 to 9 Pacific time. So uh, we're going to bring on one of my longtime friends, well over 25 years, fellow uh, stand-up comedian. He's uh, currently residing in Colorado. I have the one and only Kimo uh, with us right now. So, Kimo, welcome in, sir. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> oh, wow. You okay? Yeah, my... Uh, the, the, the long story, the, you've known about my voice for a while. Um, I've had... My throat surgeon said there's nothing that they can really do about it. Long story, but All right. so if anything, it did a good day. It sounds like the movie trailer guy. Okay. Where, you know, where it's, but other than that, I'm here. I'm just a little hor- more hoarse than normal. <laughs> I almost sound like I'm doing an imitation of Brian Callum. Okay, I was going to say, maybe you're doing an impression of Robert Kennedy Jr. <clears throat> nah, I couldn't do that. I mean, I'd almost know who killed my father. Ooh. <laughs> so what have you been working on? I know that you join me usually on my birthday shows or the day before the day after, and this being no exception. I, I am 51 now. And yeah, hard to believe. But also, I didn't think very, I felt know, 51. I mean, like, yeah, well, some days I feel 18, the other days I feel 98, so. <laughs> hmm. But you look back at old pictures, especially football players, and it's just funny how someone 28 years old looks like they're 50 in 1979. Oh, I've looked back at pictures recently of us back in the days of being on tour and then up to current, you know, other pictures that I've had from, you know, earlier. And, you know, I didn't think we'd all have gray hair at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm about 70% gray. I think, uh, some some weeks it it's less than that, but then it it comes back. I, I don't know. But you know, I, I didn't see if you you know saw it or not online. But you know, I did wish you a happy birthday yesterday. Naturally, I did not. I I wanted a day where I did my opening day announcements, did my opening readings. I did not want to sit in my office, so I just found other stuff to do for the day, so I just got off Facebook. That's a perfect so, way to spend your day. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I work, I have my day job where I do customer service out of my house for a, an investment company, and then I'm in here at night uh, for Freedomizer, and then I have my nonprofit stuff, and I'm like, I'm off today from everything. 
I'm not going to the office. I pretty much live that's my how I treat that way. <laughs> I don't get those opportunities often, so I just figured uh, everybody sent me happy birthdays. I didn't look to see who sent and who didn't, uh, but uh, it was nice to see that people send birthday wishes. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I, I, I peeked. I saw a few of them and, you know, some old names and friends that did send you a happy birthday. People still remember you. <laughs> well, I do keep 5,000 friends on Facebook, so I hope people remember me. I, I post quite often. Well, you know, it's, you know, always great to be remembered when part of, you know, your tag coming up in the world was there nobody's comedy club, so. Yes. So we always, you yeah. know, it's like we always thought, you know, we'd never be famous and, you know, I'm in my case more infamous than famous, but. Hey, if I was still on that trajectory that we were in 2010 through 2015, who knows? One of us could get Russell branded. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wish. You know, it's, you know, in fact, you know, I was on another show yesterday about, you know, the whole Russell brand thing, and they asked me my opinion of it, and, I honestly said, well, time will tell, because, you know, already people are, you know, not, you know, following a court of law. They're following a court of opinion. And Well, I, you but, know, uh, but Kimo, here's where, where I was going down uh, the last few days, the road I was on. Wasn't Bill Cosby like the originator? of uh, let's go after somebody and it doesn't matter how true it is, we'll just get the public perception against him? Yeah, that was pretty, that's almost pretty accurate. But because that was the first case that I remember in history, and I, I could be wrong, uh, but that's the first time where they overruled the statute of limitations to, to allow some of these to come out. Yeah, they're going to try to do it again, and, you know, it's always funny that, you know, they have evidence, they have proof from an anonymous source, or in this case, like yeah. four anonymous sources, and it's like, you know, I can't remember what I had for breakfast a week ago, much less, you know, sometimes years going down during all the shows we did. And, you know, I can't, no, and, I can't remember. In my life, there's not many comedy shows I remember. Trip. There's not that many comedy trips I remember. I remember the Village Inn episode, and I remember 29 Palms once, and that was about it. And then uh, Nephi, Utah. Did I go to Utah? I didn't think I did. You did once. Okay. That was one of those things that was favored in that, you know, we somebody backed out, and I believe Don needed an extra person, and he was like, you coming, you know, yeah, you know, you're coming now. And 
Okay. I don't remember it. I don't know where Nephi is, so I must not have drove. No, John drove. All right. I remember that fourth (laughs) row. But yeah, it was I remember his just I remember his Ford probe though. Yeah. Yeah, okay, speaking of which, do you know uh I found out a few months ago, speaking of comedians doing shows, uh I've been trying to reach out to him, but Sam Tripoli I guess has a has a truth type radio show. Uh, I believe so. I haven't, I haven't heard it or I haven't been able to find out where it is. Um, I've been, also, I've been trying to Hans figure out how to contact him because I heard he, uh, he either hosted an hour on Alex Jones or was supposed to co- uh, host that, that fourth hour on Alex Jones once. And, uh, I, I, I never heard from him since or of him. As I said, I don't keep much up with a lot of the old crew because they, you know, have scattered different ways. Uh, other than the well, fact I, that recently, I normally Brandon, wouldn't seek him out either. But when you're on Alex Jones as a guest uh, and, and you do what I do, um, yeah, I'm going to try and seek out said person. Yeah, mostly I just. You know, try to keep up with Watermelon Dawn, and on occasion, you know, a very rare occasion, I do still speak to Joe Coy at Doug Stanhope. And... You know what's funny? But Joe Coy hosted the first ever night I did stand-up comedy in, at Stand Up New York. <laughs> Hell, I remember the days of opening for him at Tommy Rockers. Hmm. Did he live in Vegas for some time? Oh, yeah, there for a while. Um, okay. Thanks to, you know, Davio. <laughs> yeah. Um, we used to, um, I always forget the name of that bar that we used to do that open mic from off of Sahara that, you know, they oh, all, the rest of the guys would try out. Huh? Yeah, La Bombardier. Oh, I hated that place. But if it wasn't for La Bombardier, I wouldn't have, you know, been hanging out with Joe Coy and Doug Scanhope and, you know, Don Trenagle. And... Oh, the place was cool, but the way Davio did things, if you brought in a lot of audience, he made you wait and wait and wait, and then eventually the people that came to see you would say, I can't stay past 4 o'clock. And then you're going on at 520 and all the people that came to support you, all 27 of them left. Yeah, that, he died to have a weird thing about that, but yeah, I kind of agree. But... <laughs> well, that's why I haven't been there since, too, though. Hell, that said, most of the most of the old code, well, that was weird, too. I'll get to that in a minute, but most of the old clubs that we used to perform at don't even exist anymore. Oh, of course. And I'm not talking by different name change. I'm like talking they tore the freaking buildings down. <laughs> oh, like Club SRO and stuff. Yeah, I know. 
but yeah, I, I don't think uh, I would. I would not survive at all as a comic in uh, in the 2020s. Uh, you might. I think like between me and um, Doug Stanhope and stuff, we wouldn't survive. The, you know, without doing what we did then to build our reputations to where they are now. Um, we wouldn't yeah, but I'd be offensive the- for being conservative. I wouldn't be offensive just by by my my language. The language wouldn't be an issue. It's I, I'm a conservative, so it would be hit and miss. Well, Jim Brewer is doing great. Uh, said Ryan Callum's working a lot of stuff. Nick DiPaolo is all over the place. They're all conservatives. Yeah. Yeah, but I think but as a as an up and coming comic, I don't think you get that opportunity to to build your audience like that. Uh, whereas once you've made it, then everybody's like, "Oh wow, it's a packed crowd. He must be good." Yeah, but even now, even some shows in Colorado. Uh, we've noticed, you know, we, we do, you know, show up for some shows every once in a while to see some of the new talent and stuff coming, you know, from the area. And they're just, you know, it's like, hi, my name's Paul. My pronouns are, you know, they, them. And, you know, they five minutes of all this political wokeness before they even tell one joke. And it's like, you know, slumber time. It's like I uh, wish that you know that th- that's that's gonna pass at some point, won't it? I, I mean, it's I I don't know. I I went I I think I might have told you, Chemo. I went to stand up comedy school, and there seriously was a thing in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, that that's where I met Grandma Lee and toured with Grandma Lee and and a bunch of other stuff. People don't know that there's stand up comedy schools. You had to be at a point minimum if you think you're getting paid even as an opening act. Uh, you have to be consistent with at least three jokes a minute. Minimum. If you're not hitting on that, I don't care what pronouns you are. You're you're not getting you're not getting a paycheck. Exactly. And more and more of some of these comics that are coming out, you know, newer comics are, you know, pandering and catering to the masses, you know, the, the unwashed masses. <laughs> but Yeah, but they're pandering and, to a woke crowd, and you don't know whether 30% of the people like it or 60. It's not going to be 100%, because it, it's, it's just if you look around, the, the, there's going to be a lot more people that support Trump than support Brandon. It's not because I support Trump. It's just bottom line that you got a guy that doesn't know what ice cream flavor he's eating and uh, and literally walks off the stage and says he has to go take a nap right in the middle of doing a big speech uh, versus a guy that says he's going after the deep state. And uh, there there's no question about who who should be the front runner yeah that's very true i mean any 
at, at one point, even though we weren't part of that crowd, you know, there was a majority of people that, you know, 2020 was like anybody but Trump, anybody but Trump. And they picked the, you know, we wanted diversity. We want everything but. And they picked the oldest white guy they could possibly pick. That's, yeah, real diversity, you know. It's And now it's we're getting, you know, we're seeing a lot more people anymore, you know, slowly but surely going anybody but Biden, anybody but Biden, because, you know, milk $6, you know, eggs are 6 bucks, <laughs> you know, people, you know, his policies are not working whatsoever. And everybody's going, hey, I voted for that guy, you know, that's not what I voted for. Yes, yes, you did. No, that's exactly. And if you're going to vote for it again, that, that's exactly what you voted for. And I'm just worried that at some point, uh, remember James Clapper, was it Clapper or Brennan, one of them two, the day of Brandon's inauguration said, we're going to go after everybody that's not supporting Brandon's message, including people that voted libertarian. So now they're going after journalists. Just imagine, uh, yeah, they're giving people 22 years for not even being in the city. So just imagine, uh, eventually, if they get their way, they can go after, uh, in two years, people like myself, because I don't support his narrative. That's why I think that's one of the reasons why they're coming after Russell Brand technically now, because, you know, Russell's never been a conservative, you know, but technically he's never been a liberal either. He is an independent. He speaks his mind. Always has. Oh, yeah. He's showing every – yeah, they're showing people, yeah, we're going to go after independents as well. We're going after everybody that doesn't support Brandon on everything. Exactly. That's why people are getting, you know, other people other than Russell Brand are getting deplatformed off of stuff like YouTube or Facebook. I mean, I found it funny that Parliament in England sent a letter to Rumble saying, we need to know if you're still platforming him and he's still able to make money on your platform. And Rumble basically told him to kiss my ass. Exactly. And Elon Musk says we're following Rumble's lead. Exactly. And that was, you know, I think that's one of the great things that, you know, a platform like Rumble and, you know, I'm not really, you know, I mean, I support a lot of great people that are on Rumble. Don't get me wrong. But that's the thing was, you know, are they a plat? You know, like with YouTube, are they a platform or are they a publisher? You know, as a publisher, you can do those things, but have to keep guidelines. As a platform, you're supposed to be open to everybody and everybody's opinions. To which YouTube has been more. They, you know, they claim that they're a platform, yet they push their publisher agenda. Or Rumble. Hey, I got like, I got two strikes on YouTube for broccoli, man. So it's exclusively on Rumble now. Yep. So, hey, if they don't want it, then I'll I'll still promote it in a different direction. That's all. 
I mean, just like, you know, this last week, once again, Steven Crowder got suspended from YouTube for a week. And, you know, Steven Crowder's been going through that for like four years now. Where, you know, exactly. ever since, yeah, ever since, you know, uh, Fauci's ouchie came into play and everything else, that, you know, he's spoken openly about it and... You know, he got, you know, then he, you know, got deplatformed. He couldn't make money well. He turned around and had his own personal commercials on there and sponsors and was still making money. YouTube got pissed off about that. And YouTube sat there right after they deplatformed Alex Jones. Stephen Crowder goes, well, we're going to do an interview with Alex Jones. And YouTube literally told him no. So what did he do? He put on Alex Jones. Next thing you know, you got a one-month suspension from YouTube. So that's why Mug Club and everything else now is on Rumble. I don't understand why Rumble isn't more popular than what it is. Although it is gaining steam, isn't it bigger than uh, Vimeo now? It's that is you know that is the thing that they are gaining. You know, little by little, people are finally going hey. You know, we can speak our minds. You know, we can have our opinion on Rumble, and nobody says a word about it. You know, unlike YouTube. So I think it's a slow build, but it's a solid build. Do you have a Rumble yet? Oh, yeah, I've got... I've got a rumble. Um, I haven't done anything with it yet. I've been waiting for uh, some things that, um, well, basically equipment to be able to do another rumble show. So, but yeah, we're again, talking behind the that, scenes to, to finally start doing ours. But I, I've kept a rumble just so I could upload videos and, of course, have an outlet for my favorite cartoon. But yeah, my rumble is KimoCat, K-I-M-O-C-A-T. Okay. And, you know, I said I haven't done anything with it yet, but soon, hopefully real soon, equipment-wise, soon. But I've been trying to get a few friends of mine that, um, that gamers stream that have a group, a really great group of people that gamers stream with them for, like, role play. And unfortunately, due to some of the language, YouTube has started giving them hell. And I'm slowly trying to get them to go, well, yeah, YouTube's a little more popular, but Rumble's, you know, a better platform to actually be on. So hopefully we're working a thing where everybody switches over to Rumble, you know, for their live streams and stuff. And this way, you know, things that, you know, upset the YouTube gods, you know, people don't get striked for it or anything else. So I I, uh, I had the day off my day job today. I took yesterday and today off of my day job. So I, uh, I'm i going to world premiere this early because I have my usual one that I play, um, but I finished this one today. So usually I, I world premiere it on Monday, but 
uh, I figured I'd let you watch this while we're here. Uh, hang on one second. I saw that real quick and uh, give me one second. I forgot to upload it, so I'm uploading it as we speak here anyway. So that's fine. Good, because my internet is working slow. It's that time of year, so it's like weather's getting colder. Everybody in the in our area, like more and more, you know, is online at night. Oh, is we that how it works? Yeah, we live on a mountain where we only get so we only get so much internet allotted to us, so to speak. All right. I thought about trying to get a Wi-Fi hotspot, but I need a cell phone for that. I do have a tablet, but my tablet's not compatible for a hotspot. <clears throat> yeah, my phone does the same thing. Luckily, I am doing the same thing equipment-wise. I'm trying to get a hotspot to back up everything, but... So I'm ready when you're ready. Hey, ooh, rumble.com. For those of you out there who have not checked out the cartoon yet, you can go to Rumble and just look up Broccoli Man. And uh, I need to, uh, I made a typo on this one, but if you look up Broccoli Man, you'll see literally hundreds of episodes. Uh, on three, two, one, go. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Oh, hold on. I'm not ready now because now I have to fix my typo. Stop it. Hold on. I'm just trying to fix my typo real quick. Here. All right. Now all three, two, one, go it here. So three, two, one. <laughs> all right. Three. All right. We're going to get this. Three, two, one, action. Hey, Mike. We have to go to the job. Michael Robertson Obama for President Ryan downtown today. Michael Robinson Obama is such a nice lady. We need to vote for they because they can defeat Trump. Big Mike is black and famous. We have another protest we have to do today also. Two local drag queens got arrested. For mail fraud. They got caught with hiding their hot dogs. I think they were set up by a dumb Republican. Yeah, I heard about that. We are all been a super global sacks to the ground just the police station until they let our friends go. Before we do that, we have to use the restroom and limit our water intake for a few hours. The last time we glued our sacks to the ground was at the McGM drive-thru.
I could not hold in my way anymore and went all over their drive through while cars banged over my head. <laughs> I can't believe none of the fools cared that we were protesting. Though something duckers should have decided to go eat salads because we were protesting. Some cities are already announcing that stores will no longer be allowed to sell meat products or sell gas for cars soon. I hope we can move to one of those cities by then. It will be so perfect and so liberal. <laughs> Did you see that California will ban grass on lawns starting in 2025? Yes, it's about time. The 99% does not need grass. It should just be for the 1% and for government office buildings. I can't wait until we graduate from Southern Hampshire Institute of Technology. I wish I could stay here forever. SHIT is a great school. <laughs> I want to get my Taranzas over to California. They give the best stipends for bees in Taranz and for bees in Black. It is a lot more than what we get here. I know. We have to get our gadunk dunks over there as soon as possible. We can smoke crack and sit naked in the park and just grab wherever we want. <laughs> that is freedom. You know, it has that Green Jones again. I want to punch him in him's bull sack. He is probably going to say some racist hush right now. Please explain how peeing and crapping out in public is considered freedom. You dumb Republicans think it is freedom to be confined to using restrooms. But if you have to go right now and there's no restroom, or you just smoked a ton of crick and do not feel like getting up. There is a simple solution to that. Crack is whack. How dare you? It is my right to use crack however I want whenever I want. SHIT just allowed us to witch out our crack pipes in class and smoke that ish right at our desk. Don't you care about failing your classes? Why should I care? I make millions of dollars a year by beezing trans and beezing black. Yeah, we make a lot more money than you. You might be getting extra money temporarily by sitting on your took kiss. Eventually that goes away. Huh? We make a ton of money promoting communism. Bruh. If you like communism so much, then why don't you take a raft and float your way to Cuba? They already have communism. How dare you? It is your job to conform to my standards. You're loving and liberal. Then go be loving and liberal in a land that already loves your communism. I need my safe space. You just offended my soul. You are just upset that my life partner is trying to get me pregnant. Quit being angry that Brandon legalized men to get pregnant. I'm going to get pregnant just so I can get an abortion 30 days after it is born. Bruh. Dumb Republicans are so racist that you will not trains of five to ten thousand undocumented Americans friends come to America every single day. Instead of arresting people for killing people, we need to arrest people to question the elections. Huh? Yeah, 
If you do not think like us, then you need to be taken to a concentration camp. We need to get rid of you Nazis. We believe in freedom. Yeah. You don't even believe in ever wearing a scam on your face. By the way, Malik, do you have an extra scam for me to wear in your pocket? I forgot to bring an extra scam. Bruh. I will take the one with lipstick stains and pizza sauce on it that I borrowed last time. Wearing a used scam with bacteria already on it? Wow, that is disgusting. Yeah? Well, it's a lot better than if you get COVID from not breathing in your own carbon dioxide for hours. We do not care. I'd rather breathe in my own air for hours than get COVID. That's why I just got my 81st booster. Yeah, I had a heart attack right after I got my last booster. But I would rather have my echoditis than getting COVID again. I only had COVID 48 times since I got my 81 boosters. I bet you never even had COVID. Yes. I never had a booster. And I never once had COVID. I take vitamin B, C, D and zinc every single day. <laughs> Plus I work out and exercise. How dare you tell us the dish? Every liberal knows that exercise is racist. Really? What race is it against? Every major athlete exercises every single day regardless of skin color. Even if I die from myocarditis after getting gene therapy, it would still be better than if I did not get the gene therapy. It's different for us. We are black. I identify as black. That's why I vote Democrat. Mike, you know everyone can see you, right? Your skin color does not change based on how you vote. Shut up that face right now and put a scam on your face, loser. Oh dear. Time for you to get your 82nd booster. Mike, do you want to go to China Mart and get our boosters before the protest or do it tomorrow before we go to class? I don't know which is better. I would rather go to China Mart tomorrow. But what if we get COVID today because we're not boosted? COVID can get us just like that. And if Get get a heart attack today before going to the protest, we will miss the protests. I don't know which decision makes us more liberal. I don't trust no one that does not get heart attacks. Those are not liberal at all. Hey everyone. This is why you do not want to ever become liberal. We cannot let liberals run anything because their agenda is to run everything into the ground. They want mass depopulation and death and destruction throughout the world. What's so wrong about that? About time this broccoli dude tells the truth. Give me communism or give me death. You should read about Karl Marx. He was a great globalist. Anyway, we need to listen to the real news. Pay it forward by listening to the Proof Negative radio show. He is on weeknights 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time. That is 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to freedomizerradio.com and click on Listen Live. Proof has on great guests, excellent co-hosts, and all the news we need to know about. 
go to the schedule on the website and check out the other shows throughout the week also. Go to freedomizerradio.com. I do not want to listen to anything that is not on fake news. We need to produce more disinformation to stop disinformation. We also need to wear scams forever to stop global warming. <laughs> Let's go, Mike. Let's go to China Mart and get our 80-second boosters before the protest. So that's an episode. Uh, okay, I was still watching him dance at the end. Ah, <laughs> uh, another great broccoli man. Okay, I don't know how often you watch them or not. I hope they're okay. I get a good kick out of them when you post them. It's like. I don't always watch them immediately. It's like usually it's one of those late night things where I'm about ready for bed and looking for something to, yeah. you know, go watch a lot of Broccoli Man. So they've been good so far. <laughs> well, and I and I used the laugh track there, so I went for comedy more so than normal. And see, I I can put up an argument for global warming that nobody can debate. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here we go. It takes, all right, as we know, it takes one year to go around our sun. 25,000 years to go around our solar system. We do not have recorded measurement of weather of like only in the last 100 years, maybe. So we don't have another 24,900 years of recorded history to global warming. So how do we know what our planet has done over the 25,000 years it's gone over our galaxy? I mean, granted. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. We may have, you know, we may have, you know, done a little bit of damage, but no more than what they're doing now because, you know, everybody wants their cell phones and everybody wants their electric cars. And, you know, where's the lithium coming from? We literally have to dig through the ground so everybody can have their cell phones and their electric cars. And and we're doing more damage to the planet that way. And including, you know, even I forgot where I saw it the other day where they were um, the the scams that have produced was it like three point five billion pounds of garbage? Yes. So and so that three point five million, you know, that three point five billion, you know, of garbage is, you know, far better than, you know, I guess. 
Uh, hang on. <laughs> My throat's really sore. Hang on. <laughs> You get my point. Yeah. And I made a comment about that the other day on this with someone you know you know, I do have a couple of friends that you know, I don't agree with their with their you know, political policies or anything, but you know, they're still friends. But they were, you know, arguing about um I for you know, about all the damage that we've done, you know you know, for global warming and everything else. And I brought up the fact that, you know, the masks within three years did more damage than the Exxon oil spill, and they got pissed off. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, it is true. And then what strikes me funny is, you know, everybody's, Oh no, we have to you know stop production of oil and plow. You know, it's like all right, then give me your phone. Why do you want my phone? Well, you know, phones phones mostly either cases or anymore are made of plastic. What is plastic made out of? It's like if you're going to be a hypocrite, you know, it's like give up, give up all your plastics, all your water bottles, everything else that. That you know is petroleum based, but they won't do it. Well, there's that meme that that's been around for a little bit about how everything you buy is in plastic containers, but then you can't get a plastic bag at the grocery store to put it in. Yeah, uh, or it costs ten cents a bag now. Yeah, I see that. But here's one of the other funny things that um, we were laughing at, too. It's like, all right, so any more plastic bags cost 10 cents a piece. However, if you use an EBT card or like a food stamp card, they do not charge you for plastic bags. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah, we're like, all right. So basically, a person using a food stamp card could have, like, you know, 150 items, you know, running down. Well, anymore, anybody purchasing 150 items in a store is majorly lucky these days. Yeah. (laughs) But still. As an EBT card holder, they could they literally have every item placed in a single bag. So that would be 150 items, 150 bags, and they don't charge them for it. Oh, and you could say double bag that ish. Exactly. So that'd be 300 bags. And I don't see where. You know, I mean, dumb people would, and that's the problem with that is there's a lot of dumb people that, okay, they get, you know, their plastic bag and they put all their groceries away or, like, go to the grocery store, you know, for lunch and grab a soda and stuff and get a plastic bag. 
and then they eat their lunch and then throw the plastic bag, you know, on the ground or whatever. And most of those people are yeah. Democrats. <laughs> so they're the ones causing the problem of global warming. It's like personally, when I get plastic bags, naturally I use them for garbage or, you know, I mean, I have a cat. I, you know, clean the cat box every day. So I use plastic bags and throw them in a regular, you know, in the bag after the plastic bag. So the whole thing is stupid. Well, I, I, I mean, always thought be, that was the purpose of plastic bags. You reuse them. Exactly. Why would you just throw out a good, perf- a perfectly good plastic bag? Their their trash liner is the, the it's basically the the best trash liner. Yeah, for a waste basket, like you know, for a bedroom waste basket or anything, yeah, perfect liners for them. Unless it's a Beano, it's a bag in name only that has so many rips it can't be counted as a bag. Then it's a wind sock. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> You could use that if you you ever needed to, a bag and name only. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But we see so many people in Colorado, like, since this last summer, since I've really, you know, I've taken the summer off to not really do anything and kind of enjoy for a little while. We've done a lot of trips, like, to Garden of the Gods and, you know, some really great places that kind of really make me sad at this point because... Example, we went to Garden of the Gods, and we saw these people with a Biden-Harris sticker on their freaking window. Oh, wow. And they were, they were drinking from a, you know, a plastic water bottle and then just threw the water bottle in, in one of the bushes. Mm-hmm. And they got pissed off when we told them, hey, you know, do you mind picking that up and putting it in a bag? And literally they go, well, that's what they, that's what they pay um, the forestry division for us to help clean up all of that. Oh. Well, the forestry division wouldn't have to do it if you picked up your own mess. Well, that's the thing with liberals, is that it works for everybody else except for them. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's amazing that, you know, I've seen so many other people that, you know, especially people who live in Colorado, it's, we, you know, literally use bags to, you know, tote our garbage out of places, you know, garbage in, garbage out. It's like, it's a real simple process to do. But you get so many of these flatlanders that live in, like, California and everything else that come to visit in Colorado, and, you know, they just throw their garbage everywhere in the wildlife, and they go, oh, the forestry department will get it for us. Mm -hmm. And it's like, are you complaining about this in the first place, yet you're doing it in the second place? So when you know, do you go back to doing stand-up shows again? Well, as soon as my throat gets any better, I'm probably going to, well, as I said, equipment-wise, we're hoping by 2024 to um, get another Rumble show. 
So as soon as we figure out what's going on with that, I'll give you an exclusive to what's going on. Okay. Well, I'd, I'd be interested. But other than that, I wouldn't. I really wouldn't touch a comedy stage anymore for a while. It's you know, especially in Colorado with so many Democrats that that. You know, like within Denver in the spring, well, mostly not really as much Colorado Springs as it is Denver and Fort Collins and, you know, northern Colorado. Where the like, really, you mean? Kind of... <laughs> yeah, I heard that really is where all the liberals moved to after San Francisco. Oh, yeah, they're they're flooded with them. You know, because they couldn't handle the immigrants that were coming from over the border and into California, so they moved from California to northern Colorado. Well, and they were able to sell their house for a million dollars and buy a house twice as big for 700000 and they think they got a bargain. Oh, trust me, ever since they started doing that, um, housing prices in Colorado are just as insane as California. Yeah, they they've gone up here, but they they've kind of stabilized. I mean, when a one bedroom, one bathroom apartment in Denver costs two thousand a month, you know, it's a little ridiculous. Nobody can live, you know, on that. Yeah, I couldn't picture being single and having to pay that. You'd be working. You'd have one job at 18 an hour, and then you'd have another job with like 28 to 30 hours a week doing $15 an hour. And you may or may not own a car. Oh, no. It'd be hard to work two jobs with no car. You've got to have your job. You know, you've got to have a car for your second job, or nobody would get their door dash. That's true. You That's know, one thing we, I've never done in my life. I can't do DoorDash or Uber Eats. I, I don't even like doing drive through <laughs> I no, will I still go in it. and take food to go. Now, I don't even eat the fast food restaurants anymore. Because of that, I lost 78 pounds. Well, I'm not going to say I don't, but I, I, uh, I really like Five Guys. I wish we had I wish we had Culver's here. I don't know if you have Culver's in your city or not. Uh, Culver's in the Springs, about forty minutes away. But yeah, there's a Culver's here. That's my favorite fast food spot ever. I was happy when In and Out came to the Springs. We literally drove like forty five minutes just to go to In and Out. (laughs) But one thing we don't have here is Village Inn. Oh, we got enough of those. We're allegedly getting a Whataburger here. Well, it's about time. The funny thing is, Springs, there's a Whataburger right next to In-N-Out. So our friends of ours were laughing at us because we would go for In-N-Out for burgers. 
and they go right across the street to Whataburger for their shakes and their fries. Yeah, that's the one turnoff with In-N-Out. I just never liked their fries ever. Their burgers are okay. I'm not going to say they're the greatest, but they're okay. The trick to In-N-Out French fries when you order them is tell them double dip them. Hmm. I just don't like those wimpy little thin fries. I, I just like thick fries, like steak fries. Oh, yeah. That's why I used to like I used to like the French fries at Fat Burger because they were pretty much wedges. Yeah. So any new podcasts you've been listening to lately? Um, not really. I listen to a lot of, you know, I listen to Louder with Crowder in the mornings. And usually by the time I get stuff done, you know, moderating for my other friends to stream and stuff like that. By the time I get free time at night, I end up watching Greg Gutfeld at night. Okay. And then on the chance that I actually get time to listen, it's like I do listen to, you know, to your show. Oh, you didn't have to plug me. That's fine. I I figured you might on occasion, but I'm just wondering what, what you're listening to these days. Nah, just the same stuff. You know, you got felled and Crowder. Okay. Maybe Dan Bunchino or, um, you know, of course, Russell Brand. Yeah, I'm always looking for J.T. Sears stuff, too. But like I said, you know, I'll still support Russell Brand until, you know, the allegations are true or not. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. if If it's true, the truth will come out. If it's not, then, you know, everybody's going to be made, you know, everybody's going to eat a big bag of dog turds on that one. Right, exactly, just like they have with everyone else. Anyway, Kimo, I just got the 60-second buzzer in my ear, which means that we're about to go off air whether we're ready to or not. I'd like to have yeah. you back again maybe in late October if you're, if you're willing and able. Sure, we can do it for my birthday. <laughs> okay. Uh, any last words? Uh, That's what I was hoping for. So, all right, everybody, please support the other shows on the network. It is not just the Proof Negative show. We have a bunch of programming on the weekends. So, I will be back Monday. In the meantime, hold on to that hand rail. Keep hope alive. Remember. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.